Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. There we go. It is Friday, October 11th, and live from the Chicago Sun-Times Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Sun-Times editor Ramana Hussein, 14th Congressional Democratic Committeeman Peter Jenko will join us, and we welcome writer or reefer writer for the Chicago Sun-Times, as Ben likes to call him, Tom Shuba. <laughs> reefer. <laughs> and now your host, Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Divided America Friday. And here's why. I finally got around to listening to the New York Times podcast about Alyssa Slutkin. Uh, Fascinating. I urge absolutely everyone to check out that podcast. But after you hear today's show, correct? Yeah, go plug in other people's podcasts. Yeah, and after you listen to all our bonus segments that we're going to be uploading, correct? Whoa. That's correct. Thank you. That's what you're looking for. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Just couldn't believe. Why are you plugging other people? We got to get people to listen to ours. Uh, no, you're absolutely true. But this is a very fascinating uh, podcast. It's on the Daily New York Times. You, if you don't want to listen to it, I will summarize. How about that, D? I will summarize it for you because I listened to it yesterday. Summarize it, please. All right. Alyssa Slutkin is a rookie congressman from the 8th Congressional District in Southern Michigan. That's a vast district that stretches pretty much across the bottom of the state of Michigan. And uh, she's a Democrat. In a district that voted for Trump, I believe it went about for Trump like by seven percentage points. So it's Trump country, all right. As such, all eyes are on Congresswoman Slotkin as she walks the perilous path of impeachment. That's good. You like that? That was nice. Come Alliteration, on, baby. Come on, man. I've been writing in this game for a long time. Uh, <laughs> Donald Trump is already, as we've ta- said on this show many times, sticking not one but two middle fingers at Congress, ba- basically defying them uh, to take him to court. He's uh, re- He says he doesn't have to turn over documents, even though they're subpoenaed them. He does. He's going to order his uh, aides not to testify, even though they're probably going to be in trouble if they don't. So I don't know how he has the power to order anybody not to testify. Um and in addition to that, he is dismissing it as, as an assault on the presidency, and he's urging his supporters to rise up against Congress. Essentially, it is an assault on the whole notion of rule of law and the whole notion of a checks and balances between our legislative branch and our executive branch. All the things you learned in Constitution class, or were supposed to learn in the Constitution class back in junior year of high school when they made you take the test. Anyway, here's the deal. Alyssa Slotkin, the rookie from the 8th Congressional, is a Democrat, as I said before, but many of her constituents love President Donald Trump almost as much as I love, oh, 
Hall and Oates. That's correct. Which may be a clue to the question, Dennis, at the top of the show. Uh, but anyway, uh, so it's easy for me to say impeach uh, pr- uh, President Trump. Most of my listeners agree for me. And it's easy for congressmen and congresswomen in the Chicago area like Jan Schakowsky or Danny Davis or Bobby Rush or Robin Kelly to say impeach Donald Trump because most of their constituents agree with them. Alyssa Slotkin however, is in a different category. Her political neck is on the line. She literally could lose her job if enough voters in her district say, uh-uh, no can do. We don't want you to impeach Donald Trump because we love Donald Trump, all right? So as such, it was very interesting to see what was going to happen when the Congress took a break and uh, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin got to go home <clears throat> to the 8th Congressional and have town hall meetings. And the New York Times dutifully followed her to three sat- town hall meetings. Uh, one of them was very contentious. It was organized. Uh, there was a turnout organized by the local Republicans. Hey, it's all fair game, folks. That's how politics is played. Republicans sent out these uh, emails uh, and notices uh, telling people that uh, essentially calling Slotkin a traitor against the president and telling them that she's a socialist and urging them to show up and let her know exactly how uh, they feel you've, uh, and how much loyalty they have for President Donald Trump. And one encounter went like this. Hold on. I need to take a drink of water, D. Please do. <clears throat> Thank you. <clears throat> Which uh, uh, Kool-Aid was that, by the way, that you were drinking? Uh, I am, I am drinking the Marion Williamson Kool-Aid these days, oh. and I'll explain why at the end of this discourse. Okay, you were on fire these days. Yeah, I, 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 yeah like, the alliteration thing uh, earlier. Yeah, yeah. Now you're doing teases, <laughs> front selling. Oh my! Yeah, and uh, I promise I will not sing any more Hall and Oates songs. Please don't. Okay. Uh, anyway, so one encounter went like this: a man got up and he called it a coup. He said that what Congress is doing is a coup against his president. And that's how he put it. My president, uh, Congresswoman Slutkin, pointed out that a coup is a sudden, violent, illegal seizure of power, generally by the military. And as such, it's nothing resembling what is happening uh, in Congress right now, where Congress is following all the rules and regulations and asking President Trump to cooperate with an investigation into some very legitimate issues of whether he overreached his power by essentially, and this is my words, shaking down the president of the Ukraine, looking for dirt on Joe Biden, who's running against him for president or trying to run against him for president in the hopes of winning re-election. In other words, asking a foreign power to give him dirt that may guarantee his re-election. You would think Donald Trump would know not to do this, having gotten in trouble for doing essentially the very same thing in t- 2016 when he urged hackers uh, from Russia, from Vladimir Putin's hackers, to look into Hillary Clinton's emails, which they did, which they then dropped on Wikipedia at a convenient time the start of the Democratic Convention, thus perpetuating the fight that was already existed, that already existed between uh, Bernie Sanders supporters and Hillary Clinton supporters, a fight that is still going on, still reverberating in the Democratic Party. So you'd think Donald Trump would have learned his lesson, but obviously the lesson he learned is that if you get away with it, you should keep trying to do it. And so Congress is finally saying, we're not going to let you get away with it anymore. We're going to look at the very least, uh, have an investigation to see whether we should impeach you. And so it is not a coup. It's basically all the rules. It's exactly what happened in the state of Illinois not too long ago when the uh, House of Representatives and the senators decided that Rob Bogoyevich had gone gone too far. I didn't hear many of these Trump supporters complaining about a coup when it was Rob Bogoyevich ridden out of office. So anyway.
It's a situation. And then uh, Congresswoman uh, Slacken pointed out to this constituent of hers uh, that if President Trump uh, was concerned about evidence of un- uh, wrongdoing by Hunter Biden, the Joe Biden's son, he should have turned the investigation over to the FBI, at which point uh, the constituent said, I don't trust the FBI. I only trust the president. So here we are, folks. Basically, there's a large contingent of people in America who get their talking points from Donald Trump's tweets. They are willing to blindly follow Donald Trump and his tweets. Now, Donald Trump's messages in those tweets may change day to day. That's okay. They're willing to change from day to day. It's just if Donald Trump tweets it, they're going to follow it. So that's a tough position for Alyssa Slotkin uh, to navigate. And I'm, I'm, I'm like saying to you right now, I, she's got a tough uh, road ahead of her. Uh, she, could pun- she could be punished. She could be punished for voting for the, uh, or supporting the inquiry, the impeachment inquiry. She could be punished if she dares to vote for the impeachment of Donald Trump. Like I said, our congressman in the Chicago area will probably be rewarded for doing so. But Alyssa Slotkin is on the line. The larger point of uh, folks is this. I have to hope that the number of people who just blindly, and I mean blindly, follow whatever tweet Donald Trump sends out one day, that that number of people is less than the number of people who can defy Donald Trump. Otherwise, we're in a lot of trouble. We're all sort of in Alyssa Slotkin's situation. We got a great show today, everybody. Yes, no indeed. collusion. Ramana Hussein. <laughs> thank you, Donald. I, I forgot that. No collusion. Ramana Hussein will be here. But Ramana Rundown every Friday in the Ben Jarofsky Show. A lot of local news with Ramana today. We're going to be talking about Eddie Johnson. Uh, very interesting stories have been breaking. Eddie Johnson, police chief uh, here in the city of Chicago. What did he know and when did he know it? Why did he keep his mouth shut regard, regarding the Laquan McDonald uh, shooting? And uh, we'll be talking about that and other things. Issues of limits of free speech. Uh, that's involved in this one as well. Uh, uh, Peter Jenko, uh, Democratic committeeman from the 14th Congressional District. That's essentially very similar terrain to what Alyssa Slotkin's uh, dealing with in uh, Michigan. It's Trump country. And so uh, Peter Jenko is a Bernie Sanders Democrat in Trump country. We'll get a report from him on what's going on uh, in McHenry County and how the Democrats are faring out there and some of the local issues. He's got a lot on his mind these days he wants to talk about. So Peter Jenko will be here in the middle of the show. Uh, And then, as Dennis said, Tom Shuba, the reefer writer for the Chicago Sun-Times, will be stopping by to give us updates on all the reefer laws. Dennis is really excited about uh, this particular segment. Uh, Tom Shuba, he's hoping, will be bringing a bong to the studio. But I don't think he will be bringing a bong. Because he's a responsible journalist, D, all right? Just because he covers reefer doesn't mean he's going to be bringing some. The jury's still out if he's got rolling papers. Yeah, rolling papers. So anyway, we have uh, plenty of great talk, political talk ahead of us. But before we do any of that, the young man from Alton, the man they call the doctor, has the news. I am from Alton, not a doctor. I'm Dennis. How's it going, everybody? All right. Happy Friday. Let's find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon. Actually, 
Let's talk about something that will be happening this evening. Yes, 2020 presidential candidate Marianne Williamson is in town. And boy, she's sure getting her uh, Bendrovsky filled during her (laughs) visit. She was at Uh, Sidetrack last night off Halstead in uh, Boys Town. Ben, share with us your experience of talking with Marianne Williamson. You and Maya Duke-Maspa were uh, talking. Yes, Maya and I uh, will be uh, interviewing her tonight as well. Uh, She she dropped by the town hall. It was a fun town hall. It was sponsored by the reader. Uh, Shout out to Tracy Bain. Good job. Um, And... And uh, it was right before the CNN uh, town hall that they had where all the Democratic presidential candidates came out and talked about uh, uh, gay issues, lesbian, uh, LGBTQ issues. And uh, so after before the uh, town hall began, the CNN town hall, we had various leaders come on. Uh, our good friend Terry Cosgrove TC. TC was there from Personal Pack. I uh, told me to put my big boy pants on, and then he, you know, barked out a few orders to me as he generally Typical does. Typical Terry. I'm glad uh, to see he's doing well. And uh, some, uh, I'm going down the list. Julio Rodriguez was there. Amani uh, Rupert Gordon was there. Uh, Michael Zeri was there. Steph Score. Anyway, it was a great show. Uh, and then uh, Marion Williamson dropped by. Kitty Kurth. A shout out to Kitty Kurth, a publicist extraordinaire who's working with the Marion Williamson campaign and frequent guests on this show. Uh, set that up. Uh, and so we only we had a little time just a little time uh, to ask her to talk to her at all but uh, I brought up a controversial issue uh, with uh, Marion Williamson having to do with some of the advice she was giving out in the 80s and 90s during the AIDS crisis and she came back strong she counterpunched D yeah, she's she not did. afraid she came right at me <laughs> oh man did that hurt you gotta ask tough questions sometimes and then you gotta be able to take take that Javorski <laughs> yeah. Because no one gets your name no right gets when right. they first meet you. And she first met I'm sure she had no idea who I was. Just think about this, folks. She's, you're Marion Williamson. You're a best-selling author. You're, like, on the Oprah show, all right? Kitty Kurtz says, hey, I'm going to take you to this bar. There's some guy. And she probably says, his name is Ben Jarofsky. He's been writing forever. I'm sure it went in one ear and out the other. We show up. Uh, she sits down. She's never seen me before. She's never seen Maya before. And I go, oh, yes. About these uh, recommendations you were making, these passages in your books from the 1980s, uh, about dealing with the AIDS crisis through loves as opposed through medication. Uh, let's talk about that. She's like, who is this guy? Come here. <laughs> and then she goes like, no, I feel sorry for Rahm Emanuel. Good. Good. No, she did not say that, folks. She did not just joking, although she probably thought it. I can't even say she thought it, all right? Uh, but anyway, so she counterpunched. She hit me hard. She said it was a setup question and... Uh, um, you know, and she's been probably dealing with this question many times over the years. But the question I felt uh, was very important to ask uh, for no other reason than there was somebody in the audience uh, who really felt in his heart he wanted me to ask it. And because uh, he had a loved one who uh, had AIDS, died of AIDS, I think, in the in the 90s. And uh, so anyway, I asked the question and I will say this about Marion Williamson. Um, she uh, has been very much involved in in programs that help people with AIDS, uh, basically meal and wheel meals on wheel programs. So ask the tough question, get a tough response. D. That's how it goes in this business. So that was last night's event at Sidetrack. If you missed it, do not worry, because tonight, round two. Ben Jarofsky, Mike Dukmasova are going to be talking one-on-one with Marianne Williamson tonight. It's going to be at the Cards Against Humanity Theater, 1551 West Homer Street. And no, I'm not doing my Homer Simpson impression in Chicago. Oh. Uh, right off of Elston, kind of by uh, the hideout. Yeah, it's not far, but I just got word from Kitty that uh, it's filled, so there's no tickets oh. to be sold or anything like that. It's already well, sold out. don't worry, <laughs> yes. listeners. I say that, but you can also watch it on our Facebook video live stream. Just search for The Ben Jarofsky Show at Benny J Show. Uh, if you're watching on the live stream now, just do what you're doing, and we'll, be on, we'll also be on YouTube as well, the Chicago Reader's YouTube page. And... 
What? A-N-D. We're going to, it'll be downloaded, right? You can, or uploaded so you can download it. How about that? On a podcast, huh, big guy? Well, I'm going to record it. I'm going to try and get the best audio possible for tonight's event. And if it all sounds good, which I'm sure it will, I went there earlier, uh, we're going to make it, yeah, downloadable for everybody. Both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites will make it a Benny J bonus interview. Several ways to hear this interview. Isn't that right, Robert Mueller? That's correct. <laughs> Yeah, so it's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, Marion Williamson, presidential candidate. And also, as I said, uh, best-selling author. She's been around for a while. She's got a lot of opinions about a lot of things. Be asking her about, let's see, oh, probably ask her about this uh, Syria, uh, Donald Trump's reversal on the policy, uh, pulling the troops out. And all of a sudden now there's uh, an attack by Turkey uh, on the nor northeastern uh, corner of Syria. Probably talk to her about free speech issues and uh, China and the NBA. Probably talk to her about impeachment, what strategy should. Uh, the Democrats follow in dealing with uh, Donald Trump. Talked to her about the presidential race, uh, why she's still in the race. Uh, you know, she could not meet the thresholds to make uh, the, um, the next debate. What's next for her on the presidential campaign? And any other questions that pop into our minds uh, tonight? Maya and I will be uh, doing the interview, and it uh, should be a lot of fun. It's Marianne Williamson tonight at the Cards Gets to Vanity Theater. Uh, check it out on the Facebook video live stream. It's a filled house, so you can watch it on the video live stream. Do not worry. Tell your friends. And hey, if you got a question, maybe for Marianne Williamson, put it on the live stream. Maybe I could uh, relay it over to Ben, and maybe we can ask her a question. Who knows? All right. Oh, also in town, a former presidential candidate. And I don't know about the rest of you guys. I'm hoping she stays a former presidential candidate. Hillary Clinton will be in town. <laughs> The, Didn't work out the last time. The, you know, views, it's not the views and opinions of Dr. D are not hey, necessarily. I saw what happened last time. You know, she lost. It's the same guy, you know. Uh, did you or did you not vote for one Bernie Sanders in the 2016? Yes, effort? I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. And I voted for Hillary. A lot of Bernie bros in this room. <laughs> but Hillary Clinton will be in town today for a private event at the Pickwick Theater. Ben, you ever seen any shows at the Pickwick Theater? Uh, I can't remember if I've seen any. Where's the Pickwick Theater? The event will feature a new exhibit, Trailblazing Women of Park Ridge. Oh, it's in Park Ridge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I did know that. So, have you been? Have you seen no, the show? But I've been by it. I've, I, when you said Pickwick, I go, wow, because she's from that area. Did exactly. you know that? No, oh, I haven't. That was the next <laughs> thing I was going to say. That, of course, is Clinton's hometown. And my doctor is in Park Ridge. Wow. Ta shout out to. Dr. Shoemaker. Oh, uh, uh, not a doctor. <laughs> yeah. The event will be a bittersweet reunion for Clinton and her closest Illinois friends. All right. So uh, that's I think, going yeah, on. Because one of her best friends from high school uh, died not too long ago. So maybe it's a tribute to the our memorial to her friend. That's why the bitter and sweet. All right. Let's talk some state news. On to our Friday schedule for the Illinois governor. I'm J.B. Pritzker, and I'm not a perfect person. J.B. Pritzker will be at PCC Community Wellness Center today to support legislation to lower insulin costs in Illinois. And then in the evening, he'll attend, no, not the Marianne Williamson event. He'll be attending the Casa Central's 65th Annual Awards Gala at the Hilton Chicago. And Ben, let's give it up. Let's come on. Let's hear it. Let's give a round of applause for J.B. Pritzker because he has made the Forbes 400. Oh. Yes. You almost made that one year, right? <laughs> 
uh, the 400 million is uh, <laughs> who's the brokest guy in, a, in the Chicago media. Well, I think Dr. D beats me, but I'm right behind. Oh him. yeah. I'm super broke, <laughs> but he made the Forbes 400, the governor and some Illinois uh, political donors made the definitive list of the world's billionaires. Wow. Good for them. Once again, JB Pritzker, the richest politician in America. Yes. I believe he is uh, richer than Donald John Trump. All right. Moving on to the mayor. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, let's see. Oh, she's uh, no public events scheduled for Lori yeah, Lightfoot. Well, she should be at the bargaining table with the teachers and, uh, you know, working out the details of the of, of a contract before there's a strike. But uh, I have a feeling, D, that that strike is inevitable. Uh, all right. Well, we do need to talk about one thing. Ride hailing. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times of the one and only Fran the Woe Man Spielman. By the way, the Fran Spielman Show is now a podcast. It's audible, uh, no longer a video. It's a downloadable podcast. And we're going to try and throw that actually on as a uh, Benny J. bonus interview Absolutely. To, to share with our listeners uh, the the new Fran Spielman podcast. She talked one-on-one with Janice Jackson of the CPS. That is so. correct. So, and, and you know what? What a great service this is. Uh, we'll... Download, download that one. We'll put that one. You'll probably be able to get it Sunday night, but uh, uh, Fran interviewed Janice Jackson. I interviewed Stacey Davis Gates from the Chicago Teachers Union. You can listen to both, decide, you know, oh. get your opinion about, uh, you, you know, the merits of the arguments, et cetera, and so forth. So that would be right here in this studio, this little studio, this little corner of the back of the Sun-Times empire here uh, on the near west side, just around the bend from the washrooms, D. <laughs> Yeah, she records her show on our studio. That Once a week, good. she drops it. Janice Jackson. That's a good idea, though, Ben. Uh, listen to our interview. with St- if, you're, if you're sitting there this weekend and you're like, boy, I'm just on the fence about this whole teacher strike thing. I just don't know how to feel. Well, get the Stacey Davis Gates interview. Give that a listen. Ben talks with her. Uh, always a good time with Stacey Davis Gates. And then get the Janice Jackson interview with Fran Spielman. Oh, compare and contrast. See how you feel. And in between, listen to Joey C. Can I give a plug for Joey C? Go ahead, buddy. Joe Colley. <laughs> okay, you, you're going to need a break from all that heavy political news, folks. Joe Colley, beat writer for uh, the Chicago Sun-Times, covers the Bulls. I know that is usually, uh, no sports talk. But we make an exception uh, for Joe Colley to come in and talk about the Bulls because everybody knows I love the Chicago Bulls. So this is really good. If you, if, even if you, you just want to learn a little bit about my beloved Chicago Bulls or some of you out out there are able to love politics and basketball political uh, basketball junkies this is for you we have some great stuff coming up the france spielman interview joey c and the great neil muhammad will be in the studio today at 3 oh, 30 he's one of our most popular bonus features we'll be talking about all the national issues with neil muhammad who ran for congress in the 16th congressional district and was a contestant on Jeopardy. So there you go. One of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. In fact, every time he comes into the studio, I think, good <laughs> God, I need to go to college. No, Muhammad is a pretty smart guy. He really good is. Good Lord, I am not a smart man. All right, on to the Franz Spielman article here. Uh, Mayor Lori Lightfoot said Thursday that she is exploring the possibility of raising ride-hailing fees, but applying the increase to solo passengers in congested areas. Chicago currently imposes a 72-cent flat fixed charge per, riding, uh, per ride booking on Uber, Lyft, and Via that does not fully support the goals of equity in reducing congestion and greenhouse emissions. Transportation experts from the Metropolitan Planning Council and seven other groups have told the mayor this information. They've advocated a higher fee in the congested downtown area with a heavy emphasis on passengers' 
riding alone. On Thursday, Lightfoot warned to the idea as one of the, quote, short-term modest recommendations she plans to make to tide the city over until a long-term study is done on how a more complicated and broader London-style congestion fee might work in Chicago. Let's see here. We have a quote here. I believe this is from Mayor Lightfoot here. Quote, what we know is that there is a lot of single occupancy riding, if you will, particularly from the north side into the central business district, the mayor said during a taping of the WLSAM radio program connected to Chicago to be broadcasted at 7 p.m. on Sunday. All right. Well, Lightfoot didn't give us the scoop. But Ben, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> well, first thought uh, that pops to mind is that clearly Lori Lightfoot uh, learned a lesson or two for the soda pop re, uh, revolt that occurred under Tony Preckwinkle's watch about a couple years ago. Uh, and, and so here's the issue, folks. Um, the, there's two needs that are being met here. Uh, one, the most pressing need in terms of Lori Lightfoot's, uh, what she's, the problem she's facing, uh, is budget need. You need money. You got to pay the bill somehow. Uh, we, there's a, uh, I, I think the estimate right now is $800 plus million dollar budget deficit that the city of Chicago corporate fund is facing uh, heading into this next budget season. You got the teachers starting to go on strike because uh, they want to, a new contract. You're still negotiating a contract contract with the police and the firefighters you got pension obligations that rom kicked down uh they kicked the can down the road on uh, and then uh, picking up on a policy that daily kicked the can down so you got you really need to raise money and uh this is this is an easier quote-unquote source uh because it's it uh relatively it limits the uh the tax to people who use the service so if you don't use lyft or uber if you're like me it's like, yeah, sure, tax them. I don't care. If you're like Dr. D who took a lift today, hey, wait a minute, that's not fair. Uh, so you limit, <laughs> you limit the pain. The problem is uh, in the public presentation. So they're going to go at it two ways. They're going to say, well, you know, real, the real reason we're doing that, this is where uh, Tony made her stumble, D. The real reason we're doing this is because we're very concerned about emissions, right? There's too many cars and it's causing pollution. You know what I'm saying? Hell, I'm really, we're, only, we're not doing this to raise money for the budget. We're doing this to deter people from getting a loan in a car and driving from Lincoln Park to the Loop. Well, come on, folks. We all know that the real reason they're doing it is because they want to raise money. Just like when Tony Preckwinkle said, well, I'm not really raising taxes on soda pop because I want to raise money for the county to pay our bills. I'm doing it because I want to deter people from drinking soda pop. Well, if you put a tax on soda and you deter people from drinking soda pop by virtue of that, then suddenly you don't have the money you need to pay your bills. Same thing with the ride share. So... It's got to be one or the other. Either you're doing it because you're raising money uh, to uh, pay off all your obligations, or you're doing it because you want to change habits and you want to deter people from just popping into a cab instead of riding their bike like Dennis does, or instead of uh, taking the train or bus like Ramana Hussein does, who's our next guest. Uh, so if you're doing it to save the environment, that's one thing. If you're doing it to raise money, uh, that's something else. So if you notice the way she uh, couched it, I'll tell you what, Lori Lightfoot, she's 
learned a thing or two, you know? She's like, well, you know, we're just kind of looking into it, and it could be to save the environment, and oh, well, if we raise a few nickels and dimes, so be it. Uh, so she's no fool, that Lori Lightfoot. She learned a thing or two from the soda pop re- tax rebellion. By the way, it's such an upstate thing to uh, say soda pop. It drives me crazy every time. I'm downstate, we call it soda. Yeah. Uh, I don't even think it's a Chicago thing. I just think it's... Just a little more north you go, it just seems like it's, uh, they call it soda pop. You know what? I've uh, Ramon is settling in here, and I'm painfully aware that my roots are in a state called Rhode Island because I call them sneakers. I got grief from that for Mono last week. I call it soda pop. I'm always getting it wrong here in the city of Chicago. And there's some states where they just call everything Coke. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm drinking orange drink. Oh, you mean Coke? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's called anyway, everything Coke. So, well, Lori Lightfoot's no fool. She hey, learned a thing or two. Live stream audience, what part of the nation are you from? What do you call it? Soda pop? Coke? Soda? We would love to know. And uh, speaking of the live stream chat here, we'll weigh in with uh, your thoughts. Uh, so everybody who listens to the live stream, uh, listens live, they get a little bonus here. Ben sings a song of the day. Oh, so whatever yeah. song is on his mind. It's a new thing we're doing here. Yeah, it's a good two way, days in a row. It's a good way to find out uh, if people can actually hear us before we start. And boy, it's just, uh, well, I'm <laughs> trying to lie here, but it's actually awful. But uh, people are weighing in here with their thoughts. Uh, Steven, what's going on? We always appreciate you, Steven. Thanks for listening on the live stream. Steven says, Ben doesn't sing bad songs. Oh, no. He sings good songs badly. Yeah, unfortunately, he's correct. <laughs> that's uh, good Mueller, that's oh. correct. All right. Uh, Bra- uh, Benjamin is weighed in. Uh, he says he's from Connecticut. I believe it says CT, and he yeah. calls it soda. Okay. All right. Well, I Bra- called it soda. Connecticut. By the way, I don't know if you know this. Connecticut is right next to Rhode Island. Did oh, you know that? Oh, my God, you're blowing my mind. <laughs> show's over. I got to go home and think they, about stuff. The two states border each other. Whoa. <laughs> I know. Brianna weighed in. She says she calls it pop. Where are you from, Brianna? Will you call it pop here? Let's see. Uh, I guess that's really about it. Oh, and Steven said he just loves hauling oats. That was the song, by the way, that yeah. Ben was singing. Uh, I can't go for that. Or yeah. No can do. No can. I don't know what the title is. It's one of Ramana Hussein's favorite songs. Oh wow, yeah. she rides the yeah. bus. Yeah. She loves hauling oats. We're just <laughs> don't ride the bus. Assuming a lot of things about Ramana this afternoon. Yeah, do you like that song, Ramana? I do like hauling oats. But I'm not a. I I, I love my car. Right. <laughs> yeah, you said she rides I, I, the bus. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I, I am forced to ride the bus in public transportation sometimes because of my husband. Who loves the bus. She's yeah. always on a bus when I'm calling. Or a train. He, he, he was, I, I, listen, sometimes when you have to go places, I like wearing certain shoes. I'm like, I'm not taking the train or bus. Let's just drive. So yeah, well, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm not, I do take the public transportation when I need to, but I drive to work. Do you know the song, uh, No Can Do? I, yes, I, I can't go for that. Can you sing that song? Yeah, I can. I'm not but you're not going right to now. it. Okay. No. Not smart quite ready. <laughs> Very smart. No can do. Hey, um, then you got to go like this. <laughs> no can do. The Ramana Rundown's coming up after the I break. I do like Holland Oats. Yeah, I love Holland Oats. Who doesn't? Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? Podcast fans, that's you. You're listening to this, right? I'm So you're a podcast fan. I don't know if you knew that or not, but guess what? You are. The team at the Chicago Sun-Times have a new show to add to your listening lineup. Besides the Fran Spielman Show, that's a fantastic program that's uh, now available for download. This football season, football fans, you could get the inside. Uh, I say that every time. Inside. That's not a word. The inside scoop on the Chicago Bears with Hallis Intrigue. It's the latest podcast from the Chicago Sun-Times, and you can tune in to hear Sun-Times reporters at Bears 
experts, evaluate games, make predictions, provide insights, and analyze the day's big stories. You can stay informed this football season by listening to Hallis Intrigue at sometimes.com forward slash Hallis. That's H-A-L-A-S. One L in there. H-A-L-A-S. <laughs> ben gets a kick out of that. I made the mistake of... I. It's it looks it's pretty it looks like Halas, all right? H A L A S. Two L's all. in there if it's Halas, like Dallas. Oh, he's such a Rams fan. Go Cardinals. <laughs> all right, St. Louis uh, Cardinals. And be sure to subscribe so, so that you never miss an episode. Check it out now at suntimes.com. <laughs> Stop laughing. Suntimes.com forward slash Hallis. That's suntimes.com forward slash Hallis. Don't go anywhere. The Ben Jaromsky Show will be right back. We're live from the Chicago Sun-Times, and Ramana Hussein is up next. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for um, like, if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's ChicagoIdeas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Commercial break over. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Romano Hussein in the studio, um, editor from the Chicago Sun-Times. Every Friday, the Romano Rundown. And Romano, I'm, I'm not even going to ask you to sing Hall & Oates. Just it's good enough to know that you like Hall & Oates. Yeah. So, uh, so I think anybody that was came of age in the 80s did. Even if they don't want to admit it. I they know. like some songs. Private Eyes. I remember being a kid and we all sing that. Yeah. I, uh, Hall & Oates is one of those uh, that some people are ashamed to admit. Well, they became hip. There was this um, show, uh, or sorry, this movie called 500 Days of Summer. They came out a couple of years ago, and then they used a Hall & Oates song, then it became hip. Wait, All these song? hipsters. I don't remember. You I make saw my the dreams movie. come true. They had this whole dance sequence to it. You know, I completely forgot that. Uh, but I enjoyed that movie immensely. But I, I, I remember then it became hip to like Hall and Oates. Yeah, that's that's you know. funny. Well, that's if all, the hipsters start liking it, then it becomes cool again. <laughs> then so. I usually drop out cool. at that, that point. That I, that's <laughs> when I drop out too, but I liked them from before. I think the hanging question here is uh, if you had to pick between one, which one would you go for? Hall or Oates? Oh, uh, <laughs> which one's the, what's the, Daryl no, Hall is the, the one the, that's the, saying, the, I like Daryl Hall. Wait, better. they both sing, don't they? Yeah. yeah. Hence the name Hall and Oates. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I like the, the shorter guy Oates with the dark with the hair. the mustache? Yeah. He I got like rid of guy. his mustache. Did he? Recently, yeah. I see, I'm, I, 
Hall is the guy, the blonde, correct? Yeah. Yes. All right. I like oats. I like them both, but if you had to ask me, I'll take oats. There you go. <laughs> I thought you could ask me favorite Hall and Oates song, and as we all know, it's She's Gone, right? Everybody oh, knows I don't that. think I like that song. I don't think I like any of their slow Please leave the room. I don't, Interview over. I don't think I like any of their slow songs. For those wondering, I, I'm a Daryl Hall man. Okay. I would, t- I would agree with nice you. Nice to know that, Daryl. <laughs> I'm a Daryl Hall man. All right, let's get down to business <laughs> okay. here, all right? Uh, front page story in today's Sun-Times, and it's an interesting story that uh, it's almost like a, a parable, if you will. Top cops trust issues. Good headline. I love the top cop. Uh, with Eddie Johnson's role in Laquan McDonald shooting investigation revealed, Black Alderman say police superintendent has lost the public's confidence, written by uh, the great Fran Spielman. Uh, summarize that story a little, Romano. So basically this week, the IG report came out. That's the city inspector general's report on the Laquan McDonald's shooting. Um, there are some revelations. I think, um, you know, more details about how police tried to cover up um, the shooting of Laquan McDonald, as everybody re- remembers, this is a 2014 shooting of a 17-year-old teenager who got shot 16 times um, and died. And it was basically the video when the video came out. That's when uh, Jason Van Dyke, the officer, got charged and then eventually convicted of second-degree murder. Anyway, so this report kind of fleshes out like the public officials and what they said, what the officers and what they said. And it turns out that um, in the report, it said that Eddie Johnson was at this meeting of the police brass in November 2015. And like all the other officers, there's one officer quoted in there and said that all the officers agreed that the shooting was justified. So um, this week, um, a lot of African-American aldermen were expressing their dismay of Eddie Johnson's demeanor and saying that he should have spoken up when everybody was agreeing that the shooting was justified. And um, Alderman Jeanette Taylor called him a liar, and she said it was a slap in the face to the community. Uh, that would be Alderman, Alderwoman Jeanette Sorry, Taylor Alderwoman, yeah, uh, Jeanette. from the 20th Ward, who will be on the show uh, next Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, the, yeah, the quote is, uh, he should not be able to keep his job because of this. He knew this. This is another way that our communities feel like we can trust the people who are supposed to protect, uh, th- that we can't trust the people who are supposed to protect us, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, 20th Ward. And uh, it, it's, it, it sets up this... Um, Oh my goodness. Let's just think about it from Eddie Johnson's standpoint for a moment. You're in a room, you're filled, you're not. And he the, wasn't police superintendent then. That That's is correct. Something that. He's a junior among the brass. The brass. The brass takes a look at this footage of Jason Van Dyke shooting Laquan McDonald, and they somehow come to the conclusion that it was justified. I don't know what they saw in that footage that would... Yeah, and that's what makes me think, like, if one person says it's justified, do they all feel like they should all say, okay, yeah, and even if they're feeling that in the back of their mind, they're like, am I going to be the one that's saying it? I don't know what these police brass meetings look like, but I'm assuming if two or three people say it, everybody doesn't want to be the one that says, I don't know. But I I don't know. I don't know how you can watch that and think it was justified, but... I don't know, and and uh, in a in a different setting, I re- I've recalled I go to very few staff meetings, but I remember a staff meeting many years ago uh, with I was with uh, your husband, my dear friend Mick Dumkey, and we spoke. We were the only two people who were against what the boss wanted to do. This is many years ago, a different yeah. boss, and there, and and we were outvoted. Yeah, and there's you, definitely some times where you're sitting in a meeting and everybody is 
kind of disagreeing with what's happening and you might not say something because it's it just would be uncomfortable but then I don't know sometimes if something is just so egregious I might I would I speak up but maybe you know I don't know I think this is something that's pretty serious where I hope that I would say something but I'm trying to think like in certain circumstances when your boss is saying something and then you quietly disagree with them outside the office so I don't know what happened I don't know what's going on inside Eddie Johnson's mind but you know he wasn't police superintendent then that doesn't mean it gives him an excuse but there's definitely you know a lot of people have questions well here's and, and they feel like you know i think he's hasn't he said stuff about um code of silence before i don't and know he if said he actually, never saw it yeah i never saw the code yeah. of silence well i would say if there and is so a they code probably of silence, think this is a type of code of silence yes. by agreeing and not stepping out of what others are saying and that's what i think a lot of people mean by the code of silence where they're just kind of saying okay we all agree on this so i think that i think that's what these um the city council members are saying well here here, uh, earlier in the show i was talking about a a congresswoman from michigan who's uh has the tough situation where she is a democrat in a district that went for trump and so she must decide in the face of uh, angry constituents uh, to vote for the the inquiry, the uh, impeachment inquiry, and she's mm-hmm. done that. She's facing the fire. All right. Um, so there's consequences for her decision. So of it's easy, easy for me to say Eddie Johnson should have spoken up when he saw that video. There's consequences if he does speak up. If he speaks up in a room filled of police officers, uh, the brass, the top brass, he he's suddenly Serpico. He's suddenly the outsider. He's suddenly the troublemaker. He's the the guy who is going against the grain and causing problems. If you want advancement in the police department or any institution, you don't go against the grain. So yeah. it's, it's a tough, it's, it's a challenge for anybody. Yeah, no, I know. And I'm, I'm not justifying what he did. And I, I can see why these members of city council are angry. Like they're like, just speak up. But then some of them, you wonder if they would speak up, you know, I'm just saying, I mean, Emma Mitts, wasn't she like a rom? She, she take usually, like out of that sentence. Yeah, yeah. She wasn't was she? ROM, she was yeah. a rom supporter. supporter. So you know, she said she wouldn't be able to sleep at night if she didn't say anything. But then you know, you look at other, you know, policies or other, you know, proposals that were made, and you're just kind of like thinking, did you say anything when that came up? And you know, a lot of people disagreed. But so I'm just saying, not that that's like apples and oranges, but you know, it's politics. Some of it is politics, and. There's so much hypocrisy uh, in the with the Laquan McDonald video because anybody who saw it knew it was explosive. And so at the same time, roughly the same time uh, that uh, Eddie Johnson and the other police chiefs, brass, the top brass, were absorbing the, con- mm-hmm. the video and its consequences and were deciding that they were going to rally around Jason Van Dyke, uh, Mayor Rahm's Corporation Council was viewing the tape and came to the conclusion that it could be devastating if played in in uh, court of law. Mm-hmm. And so they immediately decided, having seen the same tape, that they were going to cut a deal with Laquan McDonald's family yeah. and shell out $5 million. So somehow or other... Somebody did say think there was something off about yes. the video. And, you know, even us, I mean... You know, we talked, we talk about journalists and at the time that was just a brief when the shooting happened, we take whatever the, we take whatever the FOP tells us. And and I'm not saying that's wrong or, you know, telling us what we take, what the police tells us, but it does tell you that, you know, do we ask the right questions? 
or do we dig deep enough with a lot of these shootings? And, you know, it's tough. There's a personnel thing, but, you know, it's, we could have done more too, right? And so, you know. Well, I mean, I, mean, I, I, know, I'm critical I know it's a little Chicago different. Chicago press, but I but mean, no. in this particular world, I'm going to give him a shout out. I feel as though uh, that reporters, both we mainstream do. reporters. We do and, as yeah. much as we can. But, you know, some people say, like, why don't you question what they have to say? You're just taking the official line. But, you know, again, it's like, are you, how much, you know, how much. You, we barely have any reporters. Are you going to sit, you know, every single case? There's so many cases like this. Mm-hmm. But should we have said something? Should we have dug deeper? Well, you know? uh, there I'm were, just saying, there you know, are, uh, and it wasn't mainstream press, but there yes. were uh, alternative press that uh, went to court to try to force the city mm-hmm. of Chicago to release it. In yeah. fact, everything that happened as a result uh, of that, seeing that video, it, it stems from efforts by. Yeah, uh, and it's the uh, video. Well, that's what makes it so alarming is that the video itself is what if there was no video mm-hmm. would this even come to this no you know absolutely it would never not. it would have never nobody would yes. have been charged so it was the video so that just makes you wonder like how could a bunch of officers look at that seeing a young man walking away from the scene not lunging towards the officers but walking away how could you think that was justified? And then it gets really. There's nobody near him, you know, and, and then McDonald. It, and then it gets, or it gets even uh, nastier, if you will. So the response by uh, Jason Van Dyke's uh, attorney to this story that broke about uh, Eddie Johnson's silence is, see, I told yeah, you, yeah, it was uh, justified. I actually did edit that's the IG report story. So I was just like, and I know Daniel Herbert. So I was just like, wait. Is that what you got from reading the report? I just thought it was, I thought it was pretty interesting. Yeah, He's that's like, what he got. Because he was talking, you know, they do mention all these other officers who, you know, tried to cover up. This one officer said, oh, I dropped coffee all, all over the original report, but I can recreate it. And so, yeah, so he was saying that, oh, look, Jason Van Dyke is getting blamed for everything that all these other people have done. But he's not, you know, it's just like, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess he has to come up with that. Well, so I just thought it was interesting. I did edit that story, so I do remember reading that it, part. It, it, it's really one or the other. Either Jason Van Dyke uh, was within his rights uh, defending himself mm-hmm. when he shot Laquan McDonald, which seemed to be the official position of yeah. the uh, brass, including Eddie Johnson, that viewed the video, or he went beyond what an officer should do, and he killed a man uh, or in cold blood. It's one or the other. And when I, so I can see where Herbert's coming from because if the, the initial response mm-hmm. uh, from Eddie Johnson and uh, Gary Big Mac McCarthy yeah. and whatever, whoever was in that room was that it was justified, then they should have stood by uh, Van Dyke. But see, this was when the, it was a political thing yeah, at, some, at some point. Uh, when, when, when the public got to see. Then it became political. Everybody was pointing the blame at everyone else. I mean, Gary McCarthy got fired because of this if eddie johnson was a superintendent he would have gotten fired so essentially now uh, these um city councilmen and women are asking for eddie johnson to be fired or to be held accountable or held accountable and i think Lori lightfoot was on a uh, in our story the friend did uh, she was on a radio station yesterday but she didn't really she kind of she didn't address that, mm-hmm. but she did say that she's trying to push Eddie Johnson to do certain things. He's like, I'm continuing to push him, and but I don't think you know 
Well, it would be interesting for uh, Eddie to hear what Eddie Johnson has to say. You know, first of all, what was his response when he saw the video? And what's his response now? And what got him to change his mind uh, yeah. if, he, if there is a difference? Uh, it's, uh, it, it, it looks as though it could possibly lead, mean that one more uh, police chief in Chicago loses his position. That's, that's definitely a possibility. You know, there's a political pressure now. Uh, absolutely, and uh, so anyway, that story's that's one we're going to follow. It also gets in the in, in limits of free speech uh, in a, in a way. Like, how much freedom do any of us have to speak out against something that our bosses are saying or something our well, bosses we are do doing? have a, we do have freedom of speech to say it, but then you do have consequences, and that's what people say. You know, because people always talk about on the job, but when you have freedom of speech at work, you do have freedom of speech, but with work, you have consequences yeah. as well. So. Yeah, well, I think people do kind of bite their tongues a lot at work. Um, we don't at the Sun Times. No, always, I'm sure there's a lively. Uh, but no, but we're always, you know, after something happens, we're all like, ah, and then we're all like whispering. Just I, happened right now today, but I, I actually have. Uh, the, so. You got to see the Sun Times conference room uh, is in, uh, just off the uh, receptionist desk, and I'll be going to uh, pick uh, greet a guest, and I'll see you guys having these meetings in there, and it. I can't hear what you're saying, but it looks like everybody's speaking out. Uh, so there's democracy reigns at the Chicago Sun-Times, at least in their editorial meetings. All right, let's move on to the latest story that in the Sun-Times. It's so uh, recent. It wasn't in my beloved Bright One home delivered as always, but I read yeah, it Yeah, when you mentioned it, I was like, what are you talking about? Because yeah. I, I just came in and started editing stories, and yeah. then I'm like... I'm like, wait, it's not in today's paper. This is about uh, Danny Solis trying to sol uh, solicit money from Jerry Reinsdorf. Yeah, my worlds collide here. Uh, Roman, I'm a huge Bulls fan, as everybody knows. Jerry Reinsdorf among, owns the White Sox and the Chicago Bulls. I always forget that. I always think he's just with the Bulls, and then I, I remember he's with the Sox, Well, that's too. because you're a Cubs fan, yeah. right? Okay. <laughs> you, should, you, like this, you barely even acknowledge that the Sox exist, uh, let alone that they have an owner. All right, uh, fill folks into uh, what uh, Tim Novak, uh, ace investigator, reporters come up with. Here. So there's this development group and one of the co-owners of this development group is Jerry Reinsdorf, I believe. And it's called the Michigan Avenue Real Estate Company or group. And uh, they had a $40 million apartment complex that they wanted to put on top of Carmichael's, which is a couple of blocks or a block away from the United Center. And it that's in Dan Danny Solis, well, former Alderman Danny Solis's ward, 25th ward, correct? And uh, they were seeking the approval of this project. And the project wasn't approved, but Danny Solis had asked, you know, he was wearing a wire, and it turns out that he was asking these guys, I don't want to say shaking them down for money, but asking them for campaign contributions. And it turns out... There was 23 campaign contributions by people tied to Jerry Reinsdorf and this company. Mm -hmm. And I think it was altogether, it was like 79,000. Um, Jerry Reinsdorf didn't respond to requests for this. And one of the, I think um, Jerry Reinsdorf's business partner, I forgot his name. He, he said that he doesn't remember being solicited for the money, but he did give some campaign contributions. I think it was like months later, it was like $5,000. And eventually this plan did get approved. Mm -hmm. And the building, I think the apartment complex, a lot of, a lot of uh, from the story I, I gather, Carmichael's was a very popular spot and a lot of residents didn't want this project to go, but it went through. 
And Danny Solis got all this money. Yeah, well, the got contributions. A couple of interesting points. One, and uh, is it, are you going to talk about the fact that his aide was telling yes. him, "Oh, you might, you better yeah. not want to, you yeah. might not want to do this," because while this deal is going on, but he said, "Oh, he kind of brushed him off, didn't he?" Yes, it's all in Tim Novak's story. The aide was uh, advising Danny Solis uh, not to uh, uh, to push too hard on this because a lot of attention is is focused on this now, and Danny was bold and aggressive in going after the the donation. One of the interesting uh, asides I found in the story was a a quote, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but it was a developer saying, brushing aside the notion that there's a quid pro quo involved here, uh, and uh, it's some parallels uh, to uh, Kim Fox, we'll get to that, Um, but brushing aside saying all developers give to Alderman. It's like a routine expense. Yeah, I... Part of me was thinking, isn't this the way how business is done? Probably, you know, and or a lot of aldermen think they're, they think it's fine to do this, don't they? They're like, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. It's it's I I, I, I you know yeah to the public this seems unethical, but they this is I bet this is the way business is done in a lot of places. And Danny Solis probably thought he was untouchable. And yeah, so there's uh, I guess there's that line that line that you cross like apparently Rob Blagojevich uh, crossed it where uh, you're making a direct it's a direct quid pro quo. Yeah. Uh, you want this? You got to give me that. Yeah. So if you do if you're a little more subtle yeah. about it, okay? Uh, yeah. This you is know. more like oh I'm looking for campaign contributions. Yeah, and you're so, not directly saying well if you do this then I will approve your project. And and the similarity to Kim Fox, we may have talked about this last week, I can't recall, uh, but uh, Kim Fox, of course, state's attorney, uh, turned out that uh, she had taken uh, campaign donations from Dan Webb, who has been appointed by a judge to investigate Smollett Gate, a favorite topic of conversation when Ramon is on the show. And, uh, and then Dan Webb was essentially, he didn't know about it, and what it came out is that his law firm, they... They basically were passing a hat among yeah. attorneys. Yeah, and it was a normal thing that they do at that law firm. And I'm like we discussed, it's probably very common for all those top law firms to give money to a lot of political candidates. Yeah, it's normal in quotes. It's yeah. the normal things in Chicago politics that are often the most upsetting. Speaking of Smollett, I don't know if it's Law and Order, but one of those shows, it might be Law and Order, but they had an episode that aired yesterday that basically basically use the Smollett, Jesse Smollett story as the storyline of his show. Did they, I didn't see it, but it was about a celebrity that, you know, said that he was attacked. So I think they used the storyline from the Jesse Smollett uh, yeah, yesterday. I think yeah, The reverberations of that one. We have no new uh, updates on uh, Smollett Gate, but the folks, uh, when they happen, uh, Ramana Hussein will talk about them. All right, Ramana, it's that part of the show where we do Ramana's recommendations. Uh, what, do you, uh, what do you have to um, offer up? I think I'm going to watch. I know what I'm going to do this weekend <laughs> when my husband's not watching, but because he's not going to watch it. But I'm going to watch El Camino. Oh, yeah. The, uh, yeah Breaking, the Breaking Bad. Bad. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big Breaking Bad fan. I thought that show was awesome. I think it was the same. I think it, it, if I like The Wire and I think Breaking Bad were the most two more recent um, shows that came out in present day that I thought were really excellent. I don't know if you saw the show. Did you watch Breaking Bad? I've seen about two episodes oh of Breaking God. Bad and that I, that was enough. You're like Mick then. Yes. He, he in many me, ways I am. I don't know if you watched it, Dennis. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, you yeah. kidding? I, I got to a point where uh, I watched it. Then I realized every episode 
would be kind of like a Jesse, you know, Jesse. Yeah, well, that's yeah. He'd be like, oh, man, my life's real hard. My girlfriend left me. I got kicked out of the house. And then Walter's like, shut up. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think about. Like Walter, about Walter turned into the jerk. Yeah. Could, could you do but, your Walter imitation one more time? Okay, I'll do it a little better, too. All right. So Jesse, what's his, his name? Jesse Pink, Pinkman. Pinkman. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, Walter, you know, my, my girlfriend kicked me out of the house. I got no money. My mom, she won't answer the phone. Mr. White, he'd call him. Because shut up. Let's cook. <laughs> shut up. Let's cook. Well, that's the thing. He was like a nerd, nerdy chemistry or science uh, science teacher, high school teacher, and he just became a badass drug dealer. And, and, and Ben actually became a fan of the spinoff, Better Call Saul. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I watched I that, that too. That's my favorite. I love Better Call Saul. But you have to watch, you have to watch the show to get a lot of the characters yeah. like now, especially now. But anyway, so this show... El Camino is basically, it came on Netflix today and it's gotten pretty good reviews. They said Breaking Bad fans will like it. So it picks off after the last episode of Breaking Bad, which I'm sure I'm not giving away anything by telling most people who watch the show. So Walter White dies at the end. Peter Jenko is outraged. <laughs> and so, he hasn't seen the show. And, He's mad. And Jesse, <laughs> and I think, I think, I don't know if Jesse Pinkman shoots him. He might have. I uh, forgot. But anyways, it was a couple of years ago. But anyway. <laughs> biggest spoiler on our <laughs> show ever. So, it all everybody away. watched it. So uh, it was trending on Twitter when it came out, I remember. So um, anyway, this is, this follows Jesse Pinkman's life after uh, that after it picks up to see what happened to him and most reviews are saying it's good they say breaking fan breaking bad fans will like it they said it doesn't really add to it but they said it, it'll like everybody will be happy to see it and it's gotten pretty good reviews so i know i'm gonna watch that uh, i'll and probably watch that too did you watch hustlers oh, come i on. did last, no because you told me i watched it last I, week too I, so where'd you see it when i there? uh we saw it at the theater right by our place the oh, 400. Mm -hmm. i thought it was good but i didn't think it was a four-star movie i thought it was three. Oh, two thumbs way up for me i loved it i love j-lo <laughs> and uh constant Woo, uh, they were both really good. And uh, I went to see it at one of my favorite movie theaters. Uh, Evanston? Nope. Well, I love Evanston. Oh, Skokie. you went to the one? In Skokie Theater. I love going to that theater. It's the one in the, Niles you went to? Uh, I don't believe it's Niles. Around the corner from where you got married. Uh, I yeah, yeah. I think it is Tech. Or Skokie, technically. I think it is yeah, Skokie. I like that theater, too. Uh, and I urge everybody, I'm going to go see Dolomite. Oh, uh, you have to go to the south side. Yes, There's only two theaters. Two theaters. But it's going to come to Netflix, and it's been getting rave reviews. It has been getting rave. Sergio Mims was giving it two thumbs up on our show on Tuesday, so I'm going to go see it this weekend. All right, very good. Roman Hussein, I know you got to get back to that desk and Yeah, there was nobody story. there when I left, so. <laughs> Let's hope it's all cool and calm until <laughs> yeah. she gets back there. Uh, Peter Jenko, the pride and joy of the 14th Congressional District, the committeeman from McHenry County. He's going to update us on all the news from out that neck of the woods and also i'm gonna ask them what what's the status well how are the trump voters in mchenry county dealing with impeachment yeah i want to know because we were just talking about what's happening in the eighth congressional district in michigan with uh Alyssa, uh slutkin she's under the gun uh from some of her pro-trump constituents so we'll see what's going on in mchenry county when we return brought to you by hall and oats did you know that 40 percent of the people in illinois opt to be cremated well it's true and Chicagoland Cremation Options honors their wishes by providing cremation services directly to the general public. Chicagoland Cremation Options provides an affordable, ethical, and easy cremation arrangement, whether in person or online. Save thousands and streamline the process by going directly to Chicagoland Cremation Options. It's a family-owned business operated by my good friend, Douglas Klein. Here's how you reach them. Chicagoland Cremation Options.com. One more time. Chicago LandCremationOptions.com.
Today's Ben Jaromsky Show was brought to you in part by Chicago Architecture Center. Discover the breadth and majesty of Chicago's architecture on a Chicago Architecture Center bus tour. From bungalows to Bauhaus, our expert docents will share the fascinating stories behind our city's architecture. Book your tour at architecture.org slash tours. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm actually on a bus tour right now. Look at that wonderful piece of architecture. Get a special discount for Illinois residents from July 15th to August 15th. All Illinois residents get 50% off select walking tours. Visit architecture.org slash IL dash resident. Hey everybody, what you're about to hear are the piano stylings of Jeff Manuel. And listen to Jeff go. Jeff Manuel has been playing piano around Chicago for years. He's played for conventions, for celebrities, played in basement bars with blues bands. He's played at prestigious social clubs, fine restaurants, and in the intimacy of private homes. Book Jeff Manuel at jeffemanuelpianist.com. Don't worry, I'll spell his name at the end of this commercial. You know what Chicago Magazine said? They said that Jeff Manuel is, quote, as comfortable with Chopin as he is with Cole Porter. He's excellent and his performance is joyous. He offers an elegant stream of compositions and interpretations that entertains the mind but won't hurt the ears. To hear more of Jeff Manuel's work and to book Jeff for your next event, go to jeffmanuelpianist.com. I'm going to spell it out for you people. J-E-F-F. M as in Mary, A, N as in Nancy, U, E, L, P, I, A, N, I, S, T, dot com. Take it away, Jeff Manuel. I do want to say that we understand and we're very grateful that you're here. We are giving you an hour of substance and talk on our airwaves so we can get over the Fox thing, if, if, if you're all right with that. Okay. All right, hour number two of your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, October 11th is just moments away. But before we get into that, we need to thank the following unions for jumping on board and bringing back this program. First up, it's the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. Not Aerosmith, Local 126 and District 8, the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150, and of course, today's show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Hour number two, let's go. Thank goodness it is Friday, October 11th. And live from the Chicago Sun-Times, Chicago Reader Studio on Racine Avenue, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. In this hour of the program, 14th Congressional Democratic Committeeman Peter Jenko is in studio. And we welcome writer for the Chicago Sun-Times, or as Ben likes to call him, reefer writer, Tom Shuba. And now your host, Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. 
Peter Jenko is indeed in the studio. He is the 14th congressional committeeman from uh, Democratic, I should say, from uh, McHenry County, 14th congressional. He essentially is a McHenry County resident, 14th congressional, of course, is Lauren Underwood's district. So we have a lot of, uh, he's my reporter in Trump country for Illinois. We talked about uh, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin and the pressure she's facing from her constituents who love Donald Trump uh, as much as I love Hall and Oates. Well, uh, Jenko's on the front lines as well. D, you got an update before I bring Peter on? Absolutely, I do. Coming up later on in the show, we have an Alderman Ed Burke update. So that's right, people. It's time for another episode. Well, coming up, another episode of our favorite Chicago political soap opera. A mayor <laughs> and her alderman. alderman. Uh, I, I really don't know what... Did I, this is an update that occurred while I was in the studio, so... Whoa, breaking news on the Ed Burkegate. That'll uh, be coming up later, all right? But right now, we're talking about Burkegate later. Today, we're talking about Popgate. That's right. Earlier in the program, Ben kept calling it soda pop, uh-huh. and it drove this downstater crazy, because, well, downstate, we don't call it that. We just call it soda. Uh-huh. And then got on a big conversation, and we went to the live stream to ask everybody what they call it. Where are you from, and what do you call it? All right? Because there's some place. I think it's Texas, where they just call it Coke. Okay. <laughs> no matter what it is. No they matter what. Hey, give me some Coke there. Yeah. All right. So, uh, yeah. So, let's let's see what our folks here are saying on the live stream here. Uh, Steven says, water. We drink water. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, a purist. Wait, I'll have some water right now. Mm-mm-mm. All right, every, the live stream's uh, on and popping here today. That's awesome. No pun intended there, on and popping. Uh, let's see here. David Ooh. says, it's always pop. I'm from Chicago. Uh, David also says, East Coast people talk funny. I married one. <laughs> <laughs> Can we funny. send him something? That's a good one. Send oh. him this blue car. We send him uh, our thanks. Thank you for thank you for bringing us some content today, David. Brianna says yes. We pop drinkers are just damn northern Yankees. <laughs> Pretty funny. Soda pop. She says it's pop in Wisconsin as well. That's where she's from. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, we got someone weighing in. Benjamin weighed in. And uh, no, not Benjamin Jarofsky. He says here, Rhode Island should be a part of Connecticut. (laughs) Ben mentioned earlier that they're right next to each other. They border each other. uh. (laughs) Blew my mind. Whoa, that's crazy. Jacko didn't know that either. Didn't? No, he did. Oh, Come on, oh, he went to Lane Tech. Right, he knows geography. Yeah, gonna I say geography. <laughs> all right, all right. And uh, let's see here. Okay, I think that's about it. But thank you for weighing in here. Uh, soda, I can't go for that. Oh, that was good. <laughs> that was Brianna. Brianna's pretty clever. That was there. a callback for those who may have just joined us. Uh, ben was singing. Uh, that's oh, Ben. Can you sing that for us again here? I can't home? go for that. No, no can do. He loves that song. And you got to do this. <laughs> Shout out to Norm. Who always uh, does that. Yeah, well, for the downloaders, he's waving his finger. That's what you got. <laughs> to do with singing that song. Uh, so yeah, Brianna said soda. I can't go for that. Weigh in on the uh, Ben Jarofsky Show YouTube live stream or on the Benny J Facebook live stream. I believe uh, someone named Maria said she calls it soda. Right on, Maria. I'm with you. Soda. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Jango's mad. Oh, okay. And Jango are going to have now issues. You know what, Matt, it is to put up with. No, right? it's, it's, it's pop. It's pop. Let's just call it pop. Soda Let's pop. Call it pop. I call it soda pop. Well, jury's still out, and uh, who knows? But uh, we're going to move on with our update here. Uh, Let's see here. Oh, here's an update. Uh, It's official, everyone. Everybody in Illinois hates Bruce Rauner (laughs) and anyone that was ever associated with him. Yay for our teachers! (laughs) Yay for our teachers! Uh, I knew he was going to say that. All right. uh, So let's see. Earlier this week, we reported approval numbers for our current Illinois governor, J.B. Pritzker. And unlike our former Illinois governor, when we would do those, uh, yeah, they weren't awful. 
Bull. That's one sign. And now we have the following news from the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard. Capital facts his own Rich Miller. And it does not pain me to say this uh, at all, people. All right. This just in. Evelyn Sanguinetti, Bruce Rauner's former lieutenant governor, has dropped out of her congressional race. Oh, which one was she running? I can't remember. It's, was it the 14th or the 8th? The following comes from Capital Facts. She says here, it's with deep, reg- uh, with deep regret, I must announce I have officially decided to end my campaign for the Republican nomination for the U.S. Congress for the 6th Six. congressional district race. I was race wrong all three. Illinois. Uh, yeah, we're used to that. Yeah. I wanna, I wanna it's hard to keep track. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to keep track. Yeah. Uh, uh, my numbers mixed up. Actually, was if you add eight and six, you get 14. I don't know why I'm saying that. I mean, there's like eight people running against uh, in the Republican primary to go against Lauren Underwood. Yeah. At the last count. I don't know how many more are going to jump on board even. Yeah. So I guess uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, understandable that I got it confused. She goes on to say, I want to thank everyone that supported me through volunteering, which is probably none of our listeners, <laughs> uh, financial contributions and words of encouragement and support. I'm sorry yeah. if this announcement lets you down. Uh, no, it doesn't. No, Evelyn. it doesn't. By the way, uh, there was an article in the Sun-Times about Tony Parkwinkle meeting the editorial board of the Chicago Sun-Times talking about about the uh, shortages, uh, funding shortages, Medicaid shortages that the uh, county is uh, dealing with uh, in lieu of cuts by Donald Trump and Bruce Rauner. And she, when the reference came to Rauner, Tony Perkwinkle said, quote, bless his rotten heart. So uh, Rauner is gone, but he's not forgotten uh, by many of the people who have to deal uh, with the wake of his lousy, and this is me speaking, I'm not going to put this in Peter Jenkel's voice, his lousy reign as perhaps the worst governor and I know there was a Bogoyevich, but I still say Rauner was the worst governor that I've ever lived uh, under uh, since I moved to the state of Illinois back in 1966. Peter Jenko, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me out today. All right. Now you have mystery. You have two mystery guests and uh, we're going to bring on the first one before we uh, bring on the second one who has Bernie updates for me from the 14th uh the district, which I'm lo- loving to hear. Um, our first mystery guest, I'll just announce it, uh, Julie Thomas. Welcome to the show. Activist Thank from McHenry County. Yep. Uh, before we get to the issues that you want to raise, uh, Peter, I have to, uh, let me just reintroduce you to our listeners. Peter Jenko ran as a, an insurgent, if you will, uh, in for committeeman of the 14th Congressional District, which is a party position. As such, he was the only, and I repeat, only uh, victorious committeeman who ran on a platform to oppose Michael Joseph Madigan's re-election as party chairman. Uh, quite a standout that was. Uh, Madigan, in his effort to win over uh, Peter Jenko's vote, said, I'll do whatever you want. Jenko said, all right, come with me on the Ben Jarofsky show. That's how much Madigan wanted Jenko's vote. He agreed to come on my show only because, all right, I'll t- I tell you what, Jenko cuts a tough deal, folks. And so he Madigan said, all right, I'll come on. And that, he came on the show, and that's where he revealed that an apple a day is what keeps him young and fit uh, at age 70, whatever he is. So anyway, Peter Jenko, uh, did I pretty much accurately summarize everything that went down that, with that? Oh, yeah, you got it right on, the, uh, right on the button. And you still didn't vote for Madigan in that, uh, when he was running for party chair. Am I correct on that? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> I like that echo. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, but... Uh, but he's trying to earn my vote for next time, and he's getting really close. To you earning know. your vote? Yeah. What I mean, th- I'm seeing a lot of really good changes in Illinois. You know what I mean? Uh, legalization. We got good infrastructure. Um, on the 
you know, happening. We got Amtrak coming out to Rockford. We got that in the budget. So, so we got that in the budget. Amtrak to Rockford. So I see a lot of great changes in Illinois since uh, JB got elected got as elected. governor. All yes. right. Well, it's it's. It, I'll say this million times it's so much better than it was under Ronner. Ronner was uh, insanity i i think trump's insanity as well so let's move to that before uh we bring julie on for the McHenry county update and uh, i have not forgotten our bernie and i can't say it's a bernie bro a bernie sis in the studio a little update on bernie in McHenry county uh all right uh I, we always talk about this peter when you're in the studio you're in a county that went for trump all right and Definitely. um yeah. big time for trump i want to say High fifties, low sixties. I can't. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Uh, he he was. Yeah, I mean, he walked away with it. He walked away with it. Yeah. Uh, so you're not. It, you're actually in a in a more difficult position than Alyssa Slotkin, who is the congresswoman from Southern Michigan that I alluded to earlier. Uh, she has supported an impeachment inquiry uh, if, uh, regarding Trump's dealings uh, with Whistleblower Gate in Ukraine, uh, and as such, when she came home to her home district in Southern Michigan. Uh, she had some very contentious hearings with uh, her constituents who love Trump very much and feel this is a coup. Their words, not mine. I don't believe it's anything remotely resembling a coup, uh, but uh, only somebody who really loves Trump a lot would say that. Uh, so what's sort of the, the, the temperature out in McHenry County? Uh, people feel as passionately for Trump there as they do in uh, southern Michigan? Yeah, I, I kind of believe so, and we found that out at working two county fairs, one at McHenry and one in Boone. And there's this narrative that's going around in progressive circles like, oh, well, we don't have to worry. Um, the youth, you know, the younger voters are all, oh, I'm all for socialism all that stuff. That's not what we're seeing by us. Um, we, we see millennials out there. They, they've been... They're Trump voters. They've been conditioned all their lives by their conservative parents. So this this whole thought about, oh, well, we just have to wait for these old white guys to die off, um, I don't think that's going to work that way. You see, in other words, the next generation... Uh, is, is already going to Trump, at least out in the red areas, the youth. So you know? what do you think the message that Democrats should have uh, to confront Trump, the Trump support in your neck of the woods? I think what... Democrats need to do is they start needing to focus on the issues of working families. I mean, um, student loan debt is a big deal. So um, that's one of the things I put on my uh, my platform, you know, free community college. I'm selling it as an investment. You know, a lot of people, conservatives, they say, oh, that's like another form of welfare. It's a handout and all that stuff. Um, it really isn't. It's actually an investment in the economy. And depending on, you know, which county, city that's funding it, the average seems to point to a six-year payback on the tuition subsidies mm -hmm. because after that, they make more money, so they pay more in taxes. They spend more money, which goes into the sales taxes. Um, they make more money. They can afford to buy homes. So it, 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 we have to look at it as an investment, not a handout. Some people say, um, well, you know what? We have to means test that and because we don't want to, like, send rich kids to community college. I said, no, rich kids don't go to community college. So, I mean, it's a problem that doesn't exist. And what exist. about health care? Is that a, a pressing issue? Health care is a huge issue. Um, 
as a lot of you that know me know, is I uh, also lead a group called Our Revolution Northern Illinois, which has been advocating for Medicare for All for quite a long time, um, probably before even Bernie put it in the public spotlight. Um, so I had people ask me, say, well, Pete, you're running for state rep. What do you care about Medicare for all? It's a federal issue. And I says, no, it's a state issue. And I said, no, you're mistaken. Medicaid is a state issue. And I says, no, Medicare for all is a state issue because if we had Medicare for all, Medicaid could go away. Um, we have some like between, numbers are kind of fuzzy, but somewhere between 22 to 24% of our current state budget goes to Medicaid. And then there's all kinds of indirect stuff. So I mean, we might be paying 30% of our state budget by the time you figure um, what we pay for, for pensions, you know, our obligations. So imagine how, what that would do to Illinois' fiscal health if we had Medicare for all. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm 100%. The, the, the frustrating part about uh, these debates, both fronts, uh, Peter, the front, the issue of uh, college tuition and who should pay for it and what, how much our government should subsidize of it, and the whole issue of uh, health care. Uh, this is Donald Trump. These are issues, as you correctly point out, uh, that affect people in McHenry County, Trump country, affect people in the 8th Congressional District in Michigan. We'll be talking about that a lot uh, today, Ivan. Uh, also Trump country. And yet Donald Trump doesn't have to do anything on either issue to win people over. All he has to do is tweet something out. Donald Trump has, on the issue of health care, he's blowing up what little safety net there is with Obamacare. He's got his lawyers in court in Texas trying to blow up Obamacare. So it, it, it's a little unfair for Democrats like yourself who are running in Trump country, you say, well, I have the right stand on the issues. And all, all Trump has to do is tweet out, you know, witch hunt, you know, hoax. And all the <laughs> oh, little Trump heads out in McHenry County are like, oh, well, if Donnie tweeted it, it must be so. So it's real difficult, don't you yeah. think? Yeah, and I mean, even in our, our local offices, I mean, you know, some of the municipal officials, some of the county officials, they're hardcore Trumpers out there. And so, you know, now we have like four newly elected um, Democrats on the county board. And I'm thinking they got to be pulling out their hair trying to figure out how to deal with these folks. Yeah. Well, it's not easy. And there was a, like I said earlier, uh, I urge everybody not now but later on check out uh, that new york times story because uh, the people at this hearing were saying there's a coup uh, happening uh, in our country that was somehow or other they picked that up from donald trump from one of his tweets all right julie thomas let's bring you on McHenry county activist welcome to the show thank you for having me and uh, so what's the burning news in McHenry county that you want folks to know about uh well i've become a big actress with our township um we have three trustees who in June decided to get rid of our senior buses and our disabled buses because it cost our taxpayers $7.59 a year, and that's too much money. $7.59 a year for yeah. each taxpayer in McHenry County? Yes. So, and that was, uh, so if you do $7.59 a year times, let's say 100000 that would be what would cover the cost of the service. Of our bus service. And to save $7.59, they're going to do away with the bus service? They actually voted in June to go do away with it. Do, can I blame this on Donald Trump in any way? 
Uh, no. <laughs> my Bernie Sanders supporter over there saying no. Uh, um, I, I'm going to keep my opinion to myself. Okay. Um, with mm. becoming very involved with this, and the reason, reason, I'm very involved with it because at 53 I became disabled. And I went from working three jobs to no jobs and then not being able to drive. So I rely on our township buses very much. I go to doctor's appointments. I go to physical therapy. I'll go to the library. Right now I'm taking a class for independent living, which is trying to help me get back into the workforce because um, I can't do the jobs I went to college for. I got two degrees. I was in a nursing field for 30 years, and then I went back to school and became a chef. And now I can't do any of that. So I rely on the buses. And one of the reasons why I decided to become such a spokesperson about it is because there's so many seniors and so many other disabled people in my community who want to speak up but don't have the voice to do it. So I'm doing it. And what's the stated reason for the cuts? They, they feel... Well, they feel that it's a duplicate service and that we really don't need it. And what they mean by calling it a duplicate service is we do have Pace Bus and we do have McRide. Um, both are good services, so I'm not gonna knock them at all, but because they are so overrun with people riding the bus, not just senior citizens and disabled, they have people who take the bus every day to work and everywhere else they need to go where it is very hard when you call for a pace bus and they do recommend that you actually call two weeks in advance which sometimes you don't know two weeks in advance but they recommend that you call at least two weeks in advance uh one incident i had called and i had asked to be picked up at my house at 10 o'clock in the morning and then i had some running around town to do they called me at 10 to let me know that hopefully they'd be there by 11. Mm -hmm. They picked me up in Wonder Lake at 11, but we went all the way out to Woodstock to pick up people before going back to McHenry, which from my house to McHenry is a five-minute drive. So it took me over an hour to get where I needed to go. Where when you call the township bus, they only go within the township and they are always true to time. Um, when they come to your house, the one day it was raining really bad, they came to my door and met me, because sometimes they use a walker and sometimes they use a cane, and held an umbrella over my head so I could get to the bus. They do door-to-door -door service. Pace bus can't do it. They are so busy. They're running behind schedule, all this stuff. So if you're not at the curb for your pace bus, mm you're pretty much out of luck because they sit there, they beep the horn, they wait for you. And again, I understand because they are such on a tight schedule and they're usually running behind. And so it's not like they're trying to do that to you on purpose. But um, the one time I had to take a pace bus home from the Crystal Lake train station, I had gotten off the train at two o'clock, but did not get to Wonder Lake till five. Mm. So do you think there's any chance that the township, that uh, McHenry Township will, this policy be reversed? They'll well, back? here's what we've been trying to do. There's a group of us who are trying to save our township because now we're also fighting for our township, but we're fighting for the buses. So what we did, um, 
we had a vote mm-hmm. for people to, we signed petitions, and then we came in and we had 300 people show up to vote to get our trustees to reconsider. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, we also voted to put on our March ballot to have this as an uh, advisory suggestion for them to put our buses back in service. So when we had this special meeting, we had 300 people show up. We had 274 vote in favor of keeping our buses and two that were against keeping our buses or getting rid of the buses. Mm-hmm. Um, from there, we kept it going petition-wise. Um, the next county or the next township meeting, they voted, and of course, the three gentlemen who don't want the township to continue kept to their guns and refused to put the buses back on. Um, our buses were supposed to be ending on November 30th of this year. Um, the next town meeting, a special town meeting that they called, was to, um, as the buses end November 30th, they wanted to take all the funding out of the buses and move it so that the buses couldn't continue mm-hmm. any way whatsoever. Um, and they voted, and of course, that passed, but they needed to publish it for 30 days, then have a, another township meeting, and it was going to take a while. Well, in the meantime, we did another petition vote, and we got our petitions all signed and everything, and then we came in and had another special meeting, and... 247 people voted in favor of being able to move the money for the buses Mm -hmm. into a special fund so that our buses would actually stay through March when it's on the ballot. I see. So uh, March, it'll be a showdown ballot uh, referendum on this issue. And I got to thank Peter that most, well, maybe I'm wrong here. So you help me out. You know, McHenry County better than I do that most people in McHenry County would want this service to continue. Oh, that's, uh, that's for sure. And, um, yeah, I mean, I've attended some of these meetings. I've talked to people. And um, so I've gotten involved. And so what I'm going to be doing, what I hope you will help us with, is in the future we're going to get more people talking about this issue because if it can happen in our county or in our township, it can happen anywhere. Mm-hmm. And... Um, <clears throat> And um, I don't know. I, I, I'm going to look into it as far as if uh, there's some state help, some intervention, maybe special grants or, or something. Um, but, I mean, like right now, we've got a lot of wonderful people. And we're, we're, I kind of like compare this to, you know, we sit together. Everybody's got a certain thing they're good at. You know, my thing is kind of like lobbying, you know, how I got the Amtrak out there. So I'm going to be knocking on some doors in Springfield and, and seeing if we can get some help. And then we have people like Julie, who are great spokesmen. We have a couple other people ready to go and, and jump in on this. But uh, we're going to fix it. All right. Uh, that is Peter Jenko. We have uh, Missy Funk here from the We'll give us an update on Bernie's campaign, uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign in the aftermath of his heart attack at McHenry County. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. And Tom Schubert will be in the studio real soon as well, uh, talking about marijuana laws, cannabis. That's correct, cannabis uh, in the state of Illinois. We'll be right back after this. Chicagoland's Adult Entertainment Playground. (laughs) 
It's the world-famous Admiral Theater, 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. The Admiral is homegrown from Chicago, and it's the most conveniently located club in all of the city. 15 minutes from the O'Hare Airport in downtown Chicago Loop. Voted Chicago's best strip club, the Admiral has showgirls galore and a variety of adult entertainment shows. The world-famous Admiral Theater, open every day from 7 p.m. to 6 a.m., 3940 West Lawrence Avenue. For events, showtime, and other information, visit AdmiralX.com. Must be 18 years of age or older to enter. Today's Ben Jarofsky show was brought to you in part by Green Element Resale. They're located at 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. And people, they're amazing. Mondays through Saturdays, 11 a.m. until 7 p.m. Sundays, 12 until 7 p.m. And you can find more information about them at GreenElementResale.com. They're located off Broadway, right between Devon and Granville. So if you're ever in, stop by, tell them thank you because they support the Ben Jarofsky Show. I'm looking at Green Element Resale right now. I, there's several pictures posted on GreenElementResale.com. I'm searching here. I'm going to click on a picture and tell everybody what I see. Better get it while it's there. Let me look here. Uh, we have oh picture frames. There's picture frames at Green Element Resale. Do you need a? Are you listening right now and you need a picture frame? You better go get it. Who knows how long it'll be there, especially after this spot. All right. Oh, that's an oscillating fan. Who needs an oscillating fan? Do you? If you're listening, you better go to Green Element Resale right now and get that oscillating fan. I mean, summer's over, but hey, you never know when you need an oscillating fan. A snare drum. There's a snare drum. At GreenElementResale.com. Ben, do you, what, what's so funny? <laughs> I could use a snare drum right now. You too. I want, I, well, because I want to sing, you know, play it while Boy. I'm singing Hall and Oates. We have a lot in common because yeah. I need a snare drum too. Yeah. That's crazy. But there's only one, so we better. It's gonna be a squabble I'm over who's you. gonna get that snare drum. So either right? go to Green Element Resale and get that snare drum, or go to Green Element Resale and watch the squabble happen. Oh, there's a mirror, guys. There's so much going on at GreenElementResale.com. You should visit it. 6241 North Broadway in Chicago. Find more information at GreenElementResale.com. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Live from the Chicago Sun-Times. You know who else wants that snare drum? Tom Schubel wants that snare drum. He's going to be our next guest, the reefer writer for the Chicago Sun-Times. He goes, man, I need a snare drum. Good God, you never know when you need a snare drum. Uh, but before we bring Tom Schubel on, I want to talk to Missy Funk, uh, Pete, Peter Jenko, one of his allies uh, out in McHenry County. Uh, Missy, welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for being here. I know you're a big Bernie Sanders supporter. and We've talking a lot about uh, Bernie Sanders in the last week. Uh, in the aftermath of having a heart attack, uh, what you know? What his supporters are thinking? What his supporters are going to do? Which are they going to stay with Bernie? Uh, you have any questions about his health? Uh, I know he was not at the uh, town hall last night. Mm -hmm. uh, he was un unable to participate in that, but he says he will be at the debate, which is next Tuesday. So, what's your just general thoughts? Start off that, uh, Mr. Henry, your big Bernie Sanders supporter out of McHenry County. What's your general thoughts about the state of the Bernie Sanders campaign? I think a lot of the middle class can understand what's happening with healthcare in general, and a lot of people have had that procedure, and they know they're good to go after that. It wasn't a quadruple bypass surgery, which would have kind of incapacitated him so i think he's fine i think a lot of people think he's fine and yeah we're gonna keep going and uh so t talk about what it is about bernie sanders that resonates uh in McHenry county uh this has been a debate that we've been having uh on my show forever it seems like like who how would bernie have done in trump country uh, had he run against trump so what are bernie's strengths uh in a community in in a district like in your neck of the woods Mm, I think common ground, like Medicare for all, I think is actually a really big deal. Um, and Trump and Bernie were both um, 
going with the same process when they were doing their speeches, mentioning that the middle class has been forgotten, our jobs are being outsourced, and it's just things like that that people, it resonates with people. And when we were at the county fair, the Trump supporters were very appreciative of us paying attention and just not dismissing them, because that's a common thing is you're wearing that red hat and it's like, nope, can't talk to you. And it's, that's not how you win votes. That's not how you change minds. You just, you have to have a good conversation and healthcare is a big one. Do you think that there's a way that Democrats can change minds? I was talking earlier about uh, the attitude that uh, some Trump supporters have where they consider the impeachment inquiry a coup. They, they feel it's a coup. It's as though the Democrats are trying to take back the government from them like it was a, like a bunch of generals conspiring uh, and they're going to have a, a overthrow of the government because they want to undo what went down in 2016. So how can you talk to people uh, who if that's their general view of things? Uh, we actually haven't gotten that many people that think like that. Uh, the impeachment process is kind of something that people are like, maybe it'll happen, but we're not going to focus on that part so much. I mean, there's so much more to focus on, and everything is a distraction. It's intentional for it to be a distraction because you don't know which way you're going, and it doesn't help anybody come together or organize. It's You're scattered. And it, it just makes it so much harder for everybody to get things done in that process. And your sense of things uh, out of McHenry County, who's who are the some of the who's the front runner for the presidential nomination? Um, a lot of people like Bernie and a lot of people like Warren. And in 2016, Bernie won 79 of the 102 counties. Um, during the primary, and he won McHenry County. He won uh, over 7,000 votes for Hillary. Uh, I do think it's probably going to be a little bit more hard this time around, but I still think that a lot of people are supporting him because he's been supporting them for the last 40 years. He's always got their back. Well, this is one thing that Peter Janko uh, would, would be telling me all the time, that when in districts where Trump is strongest, the most popular Democrat is Bernie Sanders. Yeah, yeah. There's it is because so, there's common ground. They're so I can't even get the words out. They're so different <laughs> yeah, as yeah, human but, beings, the way they've lived their life, what mm-hmm. they've dedicated their life to. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow or other, whatever they preach, mm-hmm. reaching the same people. Yeah, at the county fair, we asked people why they voted for Trump, and it was because he makes waves. And he wanted to shake things up. Those were the two top things that when we were going through our things. But yeah, they are, that's it. Bernie shakes things up. Trump shakes things up. One didn't shake it up a good way. And hopefully, you know, if we can get Bernie over that finish line, we can, you know, health care and some, you know, help people with college debt because most people can't buy houses at all. Like our, there's a whole generation being skipped because of that. Mm-hmm. No houses, no kids, no anything. It's you're just pretty much surviving. Is there any part of you, Missy, any like little portion, any little piece that like you hear Donald Trump talking, you go, yeah, I like what he's saying right now. That speaks mm, to me. No, but I actually warned everybody in 2015 and 2016. I'm like, you have to listen to what he is saying at these speeches because he's saying your families were forgotten. You don't have health care. Like, they were populist things. And Bernie and him were saying the same things, minus, you know, hate versus love on that. But 
I mean, they were very similar and people need jobs. We need to figure out how to get everybody employed again with quality jobs, not just Walmarts. All right. I just want to point out one, whatever Donald Trump may have said about health care, as we speak, his lawyers yes. are in court trying to undo Obamacare. Yes. And I'm no it's huge fan of Obamacare, <laughs> but it's all a lot of people have. And yeah. Trump's trying to undo it. Can I say it. something yes. about the Obamacare? Yes. I would not have insurance if it wasn't for Obamacare. Mm -hmm. Because when I got sick and I did finally get my disability, my little bit of money that I get on disability is too much money to get state insurance. So I pay for Obamacare until next June when Medicare will actually kick in. Yeah, that's a testimony. And if Trump gets his way, they'll snatch it away from you. Yeah, and I see 10 doctors a month. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how I would be paying for everything I'm going through if it wasn't for the Obamacare. Mm -hmm. And yes, I pay a premium every month on my Obamacare. No, this is my message I would like to give to Trump voters. I understand that you guys have a general sense that the system is corrupt. I have that same sense. I've been writing about it for years and years and years in the city of Chicago. Jacob knows that. I share that system, that notion that people, that many politicians are hypocrites. They say one thing, they do something else. We were just talking about that today in terms of the top cop in the city of Chicago. It's on the front page of the Sun-Times. So I understand all that. Mm -hmm. But it's one thing to say, oh, the system sucks. I'm going to vote for a guy uh, who's just right raising his middle finger at the system, and he's taking away your health care. So there's consequences. That's what I'm saying, Missy oh, Funk. Yeah, there's definitely consequences. And our township is actually a good example of that, too, because very few people showed up to vote during those elections. Less than 20% of the population showed up, and they get to make the decision for everything in that township now. So it's, it is voting matters and not voting matters. All right, very good. That's Missy Funk, uh, Julie, uh, Julie Thomas, thank you so much, and uh, Peter Jenko, 14th Congressional Committeeman. Uh, we have uh, Tom Shuba on deck. We're going to bring him on when we return. The secret to being a good debater is devotion to the truth. Not winning the argument, but telling the truth, and I think that's what I've heard from and if voters. You, and if you can't do that, fake it. Or <laughs> <You laughs> that. Fake it till no, you there make is, it. There is, a, listen, I mean, President, President Clinton got the kid from Hope, and he could, his story was relatable to where people were living their lives. President Obama was about the audacity of Hope and what his candidacy embodied and what it meant for them in the country. And it is very important to relate to people and be relatable, where they can understand what is in here. They're going to pull the hood up, and we've seen it, all of us who've been helping candidates or run ourselves. People are going to, the voters that are watching tonight and thinking about becoming Democrats in this upcoming election, they're going to see what moves this. Not just the ideas, but what motivates that idea. Not just what that policy is to that problem, but why do you want to care about that? Why did you put that at the top of the list? Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had 
two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show, live from the Chicago Sun-Times. Tom Shuba is in the studio. Tom Shuba is in the studio. A lot of people, when they're little kids, they go, what am I going to do when I grow up? Like when Dennis was a little kid in uh, Alton, he says, I want to be a firefighter. How did you know? <laughs> when I was growing up, I said, I want to be a basketball player. When Tom Shuba was growing up, he goes, I want to cover reefer of <laughs> the Sun-Times. Those were his exact words. <laughs> He was eight years old. He said, Dad, I want to cover reefer for the Chicago Sun-Times. And his dad said, son, if you follow your dreams, you can do it. And now he's doing it, man. Don't leave, Tom. <laughs> do not leave. Anyway, welcome to the show, Tom Shuba. Hey, Ben. How you doing? Um, <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is I always did want to be a reporter, but we were a Tribune family. So I always wanted to write for the Tribune. My mouth just fell. <laughs> you are a Tribune family? We well, you're Tribune. young, so the Tribune wasn't the Tribune. I, I don't know if that makes any sense. My uh, dad worked for the Tribune briefly when the Tribune was the Tribune a couple of years ago, selling I, ads. He was a, I did not know that. Yeah. I'm learning things. Yeah, so, when the new regime came in, he got pushed out with uh, a lot of the other folks. So, in other words, every day there was a Tribune in your house, and that was the newspaper you grew up reading. And I read it, and I memorized every sports stat, and I, I, we were a newspaper family. So we had newspapers, but we also had magazines. Well, you're around. a, um, let me ask you this. You're a person of the millennial persuasion. You're a younger uh, human being. Uh, your generation, uh, re, you know, is not favorable, like, to these things, newspapers. But somehow or other, you got the bug? Yeah, I think it's, it, I think it's definitely what type of household you come up in. Like, my dad was in the publishing world by proxy as kind of like an ad guy. So he sold ads for like Rolling Stone and the Atlantic and ESPN, the magazine. So we kind of just had all of these things around and it wasn't a time when you had the internet. So it's like, what the hell am I going to do with my time? Here's this magazine. Here's this Rolling Stone. Who's this dude on the cover? Let me read about him. So it was kind of just like the, stuff was there for me sitting in front of me by the way when people hear the name shuba they automatic or many people i shouldn't say all people they think about a club in the city of chicago are you related to that club yeah so um that was my dad's club that he ran with my uncle mike um that they started in 1988 i believe and has been you know a staple of chicago's indie music scene since then uh that i've spent <laughs> many years working at as a doorman and a barback and a host and uh but uh my pop sold it a couple years ago actually to uh kind of this big well-funded investment group who said like name your price 
and he did. And he it. named it. <laughs> He's not working for the <laughs> Tribute anymore. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, yeah, my family's always been well. So my dad had that business, but my my mom's parents were both tavern owners on the north side for ever. She lived above bars her whole life. So they had a spot in like Lincoln Park uh, called the Living Room for a long time. And then by the time my grandma died, she had a spot on. Bryn Mawr in Uptown um, that was called Newman's Lounge that was kind of this like very smoke filled alcoholic <laughs> you know day drinking dark <laughs> dark weird place that I would have to go after school and hang out and eat potato it, chips and stuff it's a good place to raise a kid <laughs> yeah yeah you learn a lot as a kid kind of observing being stuck in bars what are some know? of the things you picked up Oh, man, I, I think a sense of humor and a sense of community, you know, it's like at neighborhood bars, it's like people, it's families, ostensibly, and people can go there and they can like the Cheers theme song kind of, you know, you go there and there's a there's a sense of comfort. It's safe. It's welcoming. You can feel like you can be yourself there. And I dug that. I like that people, you know, might have jobs they hate that they have to go to all day or have houses that they want to escape and that's the place that you can go and kick back and see your buddies and tell jokes and <laughs> you know that sort of thing and uh so it was uh i guess there's some connection between uh the bar scene uh, people who hang out in bars in the middle of the day and writing about marijuana or cannabis whatever they call it uh, i'm not sure there's a direct connection uh let's talk about that uh your beat right now uh, is it, it's not your exclusive beat, I presume, at the Sun Times. It's not cannabis exclusively, correct? Uh, I do cannabis a handful of days a week, and then general assignment stuff two days a week. So kind of split between the two. So how does that work? How how can you balance between one and the other? You know, because news breaks at any given time. So how to t- talk about how your day works? Well, if we get some sort of important pressing state news related to cannabis like licenses unleashed or you know things like that i'll just jump on it and do it whenever it comes up so uh my editor is actually dave newbart who used to be a a, a, re- a reader guy dave newbart perhaps the most ferociously loyal bears fan there is in the city <laughs> of chicago can we just pause for a moment and feel sorry for dave <laughs> that wretched team of his is so bad but yes a uh, good man dave yeah. yes good so man. so shout out dave he's been uh <laughs> a, you know he's a great guy to work with and uh is also funny interesting dude so uh he's kind of my we're kind of the team that focuses mostly on the cannabis stuff. So how did, how did it come that you became the cannabis reporter? Man, it's actually a, <laughs> so I don't know if you remember, well, yeah, because you were here with the reader at this time when, uh, when Eisendrath and everyone took over. Right? Edwin Eisendrath. Yes. So, uh, like Carol Fowler and Eisendrath's wife were handling basically the digital side of the sun times. Uh huh. Um, and there was there was kind of this like church and state semper, separation at the Sun Times with the print and the digital at that point. Um, but they had this great idea, uh, probably at the start of last year. And they said, "We want to have a, a cannabis reporter. We want to have someone to focus on this specifically." They were kind of looking at places like the Washington, or excuse me, uh, God, San Francisco Chronicle, mm. right, and uh, the Denver Post who had uh, these verticals for cannabis. And they were like, we want to do something like this. 
So they kind of just let me loose. And since then, the... As but how come, why you? Did, did a bunch of people apply <laughs> for the gig or... I was already there. I was doing breaking news stuff at the Sun-Times and they kind of just like, tap. I don't know if they just thought I, I looked like I would be a cannabis type of dude or something. <laughs> Did they jump to a conclusion because your dad ran a bar? I don't know. Yeah, it was it was kind of th this, uh, they pulled me aside one day and they were like, hey, we want to do this. Would you be interested in kind of taking the lead on this? And I was like, yeah, I mean, cannabis reporting is great because it, it, it as a young reporter, you get a chance to write about politics, business, culture, uh, criminal justice. Like all of those things are encompassed in cannabis. Yeah. It touches on pretty much every facet of every section of a newspaper, you know? So I was like, yeah, sure, let's do it. And as that's happened, this, you know, Pritzker got elected. This thing got totally ramped up. They they pushed it through. Stans and Cassidy got the job done. And and now we're here, Stays. like hurtling ahead a couple months yeah. until we actually have to do this thing. Kelly Cassidy, KC, Kelly Cassidy from the north side of Chicago and Heather Staines were the two chief legislative sponsors of the can. I got to call it cannabis. I'm an old guy, so it's really hard for me to say cannabis. Uh, I prefer to say reefer, but whatever. Uh, I presume before we, we have a whole, I have a whole bunch of issues I want to ask you about that you have to cover that encompass part of the job of being the quote unquote cannabis reporter. But I must say, you must get a lot of jokes like, like guys like Dennis and I are always making cannabis reefer jokes. Do you get a lot of jokes uh, in your profession as the cannabis reporter? About just in general any well not, yeah, yeah two guys I, went I've, into a I've, bar i've no. heard a couple yeah but marijuana jokes like puns i'm sure you <laughs> yeah. Tons oh of puns. Yeah, yeah yeah that's the great thing about like you know pot reporting and now like even our i don't know if you followed like Arm mitch armantrout's gambling reporting yes but he does like scott fornick the great sometimes that yes is his editor and they have like the awesome like gambling puns <laughs> in every headline and every lead of the yeah. story like in every story and so yeah we do we do those we do those we get them you see them in different stories it's you know well the uh cannabis i would say that uh the articles you write are probably widely read there's um one of my favorite themes uh is the hypocrisy around a marijuana because so many people smoke it uh, and somebody if they don't smoke it they know people smoke it or they were with somebody that weekend and smoke and were there politely passed the joint didn't smoke it you know they, their, their kids smoked it their parents smoked it and yet for years and years they had to act as though oh this 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 is very concerning and just, I don't know about this because you couldn't admit that you smoked it. <laughs> I mean, you were like people jobs, the tribune, believe it or not, was drug testing uh, its reporters uh, to see if they were smoking reefer. Can you believe this? Like, I, I do believe that. It's that, insane. <laughs> yeah. Like what difference would that make? Yeah. It might help the creative process. Yeah. Uh, but uh, so there was so much, so much hypocrisy about it. And now suddenly it's been unleashed, uh, Tom, with this, uh, with the passage of the legalization. Now everybody can do it. So there are people about a, for a three or four different levels uh, just to keep up with the law and where they can buy, et cetera, must be following your stories. Yeah. And it, you know what the great thing about this thing actually happening now in Illinois, right? Is like, We've seen a series of polls where 66% of Illinoisans, two, two thirds of people from the state are like, we want this. How much? Did you 66%. Wow. And this is like, you know, Paul Simon Public Policy Institute stuff. Yeah. You know, these aren't like online polls. Um, 
so this is just a form of direct democracy, which is important right now, you know, that like, especially in the cannabis conversation, because we have this whole federal holdup around it, despite the fact that most people in the country want marijuana legalized, mm -hmm. right, and want to have access to this drug, whether for medical or recreational purposes. Um, so, yeah, I think we, the, I, I don't like to approach cannabis as this stigmatized thing or even as this thing that's coming out of the closet. I think it's something that a lot of people have done for a long time and that it is normal and it's part of America and it's part of Illinois. So certain terminologies and certain ways that people broach uh, like looking into it, I think we, we kind of try to take like a looser, uh, lighter tone to it mm -hmm. because it's just weed. <laughs> it's just yeah. weed, man. That should be the title. That should be the motto they recovered. It's just weed. Uh, or let's break down some of the the larger issues uh, that um, uh, that you're going to have to cover. There's like the, the sort of the general categories, uh, and I guess the first one, this being Chicago, who is going to get the licenses or the approval? to sell it that seems to be uh, a favorite topic that you have to cover so just give folks that's just a, the what's going on in that area yeah so um we're gonna have 75 new uh licenses opening up statewide very soon and the application uh range is from i think december 10th to january 2nd which is the day after sales come online and then on may 1st they'll start doling out those licenses and uh, the majority of them are in Cook and the surrounding counties. Uh, but uh, there's an element of the legislation that kind of prioritizes giving those licenses to people who have been adversely affected from, by the drug war mm -hmm. or are from areas that have been. So they'll get kind of like extra points on their application. And that's to hopefully bolster minority ownership in this industry that is right now completely and utterly run by white people and mostly white men. So you have 55 dispensaries, you have 21 cultivation centers. There's not a black or brown person with a minority stake in any of those, right? With a, without a minority stake? Or with or a majority, majority stake okay, in yeah. any of those, yeah. yeah. So it's, uh, that's, I think that's kind of the, the key goal. And then what's gonna happen with, within Chicago, uh, I went to a, uh, the first hearing that they had this week, public hearing at Malcolm X College, mm -hmm. which was about licensing and was about this specific issue. And uh, the mayor's office seems very uh, committed to kind of that social equity aim to get these licenses into the hands of, of, of these people who haven't been able to participate in the industry so far. Yeah, so, uh, and, and, and that's painfully ironic uh, let's just take a point, to, uh, a moment to point this out. The other great hypocrisy of our country's attitude toward marijuana uh, is that everybody smoked it, including white people, but black people got punished for it. And this is the part that really irritated me the most uh, and drove so much of the coverage I did about this 10 years ago, and that there was this unfair bias in the enforcement of the law. Black people went to jail or were locked up for doing something that white people did every weekend. Uh, that extends to today in the city of Chicago. I, I don't know if it was Mark Brown or if it was Novak last year who did a report about, like, you know, pot's been decriminalized, but the number of tickets is disproportionately going to 
black still and brown going people. their way. Yeah, yeah. So it's like enforcement is still turned that way. And that's, so the scary thing, though, about the potential for like how law enforcement is going to approach legalization is like there's two aspects to it, right? Like the first is cannabis arrests are still huge across the state, you know. There's still a lot of them, and it's still an important, uh, you know, driver of revenue for the state through the criminal justice system. So um, there's that aspect of it, and then there's what are cops going to do now? What are they going to focus their time on now if they can't, if they're not focused on marijuana enforcement? What's the next thing that's going to fill that void? What are the next, what are the next arrests that are going to be made that are going to be prioritized and and that's yet to be seen but but who knows now we have like you know people are complaining in chicago at least about like oh well the 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 bail reforms are leading to a spike in uh retail theft right Mm -hmm. um so is it going to be a prioritization of that like you know in other words, you're su- sort of suggesting that you got to lock people up for something. So what are the next thing they're going to lock them up for if you, if you don't have marijuana as an excuse? Cops arrest people, right? That's what they do. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's their purview. That's street cops. They're, they're aimed at making arrests, stopping crime, uh, enforcing legal statutes. If this legal statute that makes marijuana legal is gone... What, what fills that void? What fills that space? And, and uh, the second part of the, the equation in terms of the hypocrisy, uh, so when it was illegal, black people uh, bore the brunt of the punishment. And now that, it's Ill- now that it's legal, apparently, according to what you were just telling us, white people are going to be making the money. Yeah, well, white people are already making the money in Illinois in the medical industry, which has vastly expanded in recent years. Like, post-Rauner, it's like finally, like, the locks were kind of starting to be shot off of the medical industry. So, uh, yeah, it's how do we... And the really important thing here is, right, like, so uh, a medical dispensary is is great, and it couldn't be a, a great source of revenue for a small business owner. But the real money is in cultivation. And the fact that we have... We only have 21 cultivation centers right now, and there's no plan to add any more in the immediate future. There's going to be some craft grow licenses released next year. There's going to be potentially, if they say it's needed, more large-scale cultivation licenses by 2021. These are, uh, so this limited amount of cultivation centers, 21, is going to be serving all of the pot shops across the state. It's a huge, huge uh, opportunity to make a lot of money. And... There's, there's no minority ownership in that. And first of all, there's been deals recently in Illinois involving real estate investment trusts. And this is kind of the new move with these big pot companies, which is that they will sell back a huge cultivation center that they've bought to a real estate investment trust for multi-millions of dollars, $25 million. There was one down in Barrie. Then they lease the facility back. And it serves ostensibly like an unregulated mortgage. And um, there's a cap, there's a limit on how many cultivation centers a specific company can have licenses for. That's three. But there's no limit on how many a real estate investment trust can own. And the big real estate investment trust that's moving into Illinois is from San Diego. And it's highly capitalized, including BlackRock owns over a million shares. It's publicly traded. Yet... 
it's functioning basically as a unlicensed mortgage broker. And well, like, explain that what you mean by that. I think I know what you mean, but explain <laughs> for our listeners unlicensed how it's functioning like an unlicensed mortgage broker. Um, well, ostensibly, um, they're paying. So the REIT will pay twenty five million dollars to buy a cultivation center from a company that owns it, right? Mm-hmm. But then the company will lease it back. So they will eventually pay back that $25 million through rents rents plus more. Mm -hmm. So that's how the system is is working. And so it's comparable to a mortgage. I gotcha. And so uh, if the state is intending to make sure and guarantee uh, that there's uh, some kind of equity and the distribution of ownership rights, this is a way of getting around it because uh, if you're the uh, the real estate investment firm from California or from wherever they're from will not be directly overseen, governed by the state. Right now, yeah. And I've, Unless I've they talked change to, the law. I've, saw, I've talked to uh, Toy Hutchinson, the state senator, who's going to be like the pot czar moving mm-hmm. forward. She said this is going to be something that they'll look at. Um, at this point, so this, this particular REIT, Innovative Industrial Properties, that is publicly traded, that's getting all these investments from, you know, institutional folks who are really kind of pillars of the American economy. Um, they own one facility right now in Barrie, but they're going to own two more. And I've talked to people from other companies who said that they're really considering similar deals. So potentially there's nothing in the law that would prohibit them from owning all 21 cultivation centers, basically, and leasing them all back to all the operators. There's nothing, there's no protection against that right now in the law. Yeah. So these sorts of things that are happening in the shadows, by the way, you know, a white led business from a, from out of state, right? Kind of, kind of counterintuitive, kind of counter to what the aims of this legislation. Are. So um, this is developing and we're figuring this out as we go along, right? And not only are we as a state figuring this out legislatively as we go along, the industry is figuring it out as it goes along. Things are changing so rapidly across the country, and so many of these companies are trying to become national brands ahead of, you know, lifting the federal prohibition on it. That it's a constant state of flux, basically, right. and it's and it's I think hard to keep track of well, for, for for regulators. Tom, I just I got to say, t- sort of tying the themes of our conversations today. Right before you came on, I was talking to some uh, Bernie Sanders supporters out in McHenry County, and there's just such cynicism about the way the system works. No matter the, the hypocrisy, where people say, "Oh, we're going to do X, Y, Z," and then you realize it's stacked against them, and it, people end up voting out of frustration for Donald John Trump, which is I don't understand how you go from one to the other, but that's how they do it. When I hear stories like this, I I I begin to understand why turnout in the black community is so low because it's just utter hypocrisy. Black people, are the ones who got arrested now it's legal. White people are the ones who are making the money, right. you know, and there doesn't seem like anything anybody can do about it at the moment. And just, that's why you don't have any faith in the system. Do you follow what I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. It just I, breathes a certain kind of cynicism. And I, I'm, I, I'm, uh, I have a positive outlook on the, you know, the legalizations like legislation that passed. Um, I think that the aims of the sponsors were good and, and they're not talking out of their mouth when they said, we're trying to make this a more equitably distributed industry. Mm -hmm. Um, we're really trying to 
do something bold with criminal justice reform. Um, but it is uh, a huge plan. Um, so we'll see how it shakes out. But but I do think the the language of the law and the and the key aspects of it, um, the intentions are good. Uh, I agree with you. And, and I also say this, uh, my shout out to Kelly Cassidy. I have, I've had her on the show so many times through the whole phase of this thing from way back when, uh, when she was pretty much one of the few people who was uh, supporting the legalization of reefer. And uh, so I think the, I think we absolutely positively had to legalize marijuana uh, and it was going to happen sooner or later. It's the details, as always, is the ones that you have to keep, uh, stay on top of. And uh, that's what you're doing with your beat. Yeah. But let's not f- forget about um, what happened with Kelly Cassidy's spouse uh, soon after the passage of this legislation, right? Uh, Candace Gingrich? Yeah. Who is Newt Gingrich's sister, correct? That is or correct. Newt Gingrich's um, uh, sibling. Um she took a job with with Revolution Global, which is an Illinois-based company that's a multi-state cannabis operator. You know, she kind of <laughs> it was this very old-school Illinois move, kind of. So it's like that. I think that uh, gave pause to some folks of like, you know, what's going on here? As Kelly is the champion of this thing and 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 this righteous crusader for it, which she has been really. Yeah. Um, and that was, I think, that kind of just like people were like, "Whoa!" And that is also part of your job to watch all these connections that exist. Typical Chicago politics and state politics, etc. We're going to take a break. We come back. We're going to get to a, a couple other big issues uh, on this front. Number one, how much money does it raise? Uh, that's a lot of expectation on that front. It's something uh, that Tom uh, has to report. And then we're going to ask him on a little lighter note, his three favorite stoner movies. So we'll be dealing that when we return. And I plan on focusing on our common issues, our common hopes and desires, and in that way unifying our country, winning this election, and turning the page for America. And now, President Trump, you can go back to watching Fox News. Attention Chicago innovators and creators, 2019 Chicago Ideas Week is coming soon. October 12th through the 17th, this annual Ideas Festival is back, and it's the largest, most affordable Ideas Festival of its kind. They bring in hundreds of thought leaders from around the globe and some local to share ideas and spark action all across Chicago. To get a better idea of what to expect, here's a bit of audio from last year's Chicago Ideas Week with special guest and Chicago comedian Cameron Esposito. Everything that I have ever tried to do has had two motivations. One is I really do believe in trying to create social change. And then the other one is I'm scared and alone too. So I would like for you to join me. You know, every job that I have, I try to make sure to hold the door open. That's like my uh, motto for, for, um, like if I get through, you're coming with me. And I really, I believe in that wholeheartedly. And, uh, especially if I have more privilege than you, like I'm holding the door open for you, um, even wider. October 12th through the 17th, it's 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. Tickets go on sale to members on August 22nd and to general public September 10th. Once again, if you're an innovator or creator in the city of Chicago or even outside the city, you must join us for Chicago Ideas Week, October 12th through the 17th. For tickets and event information, head to chicagoideas.com. That's chicagoideas.com. And we hope to see you October 12th through the 17th for 2019 Chicago Ideas Week. 
welcome back to the Ben Jarofsky Show. Mr. Jarofsky, take us home. Tom Shuba not only covers uh, marijuana news for the Chicago Sun-Times, he not only hung out at a bar at a very early young age, he's not only a proud graduate of Lincoln Park High, he not only uh, grew up some of his the best years of his life at Evanston, he also plays a mean piano. That's Tom Shuba <laughs> on the keyboard over there. Oh, <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. You're far too kind. <laughs> Yes, uh, Shuba on keyboards, man. Come on, huh? Uh, and uh, we're talking to Tom Shuba, marijuana correspondent for the Chicago Sun. He's really just a reporter. I mean, take just out of the sentence. He's a reporter for the Sun-Times, but his beat is cannabis, and I get a kick out of saying marijuana reporter. Um, Tom Shuba, before uh, we get to the all-important issue of what are your three favorite uh, stoner movies, uh, oh, Young Dennis has an update. Yeah, we have some updates here. First off, uh, tonight, uh, we will be at the Cards Against Humanity studio, the theater, uh, for Marianne Williamson. She's in town, and Ben and Maya Duke-Mosfer are going to be speaking with her. Uh, the event, it's going to be packed. There's... It's already filled, so but you can watch it on the live stream, the Facebook video live stream at Benny J Show, B E N N Y, the letter J Show. For those watching on the live stream today, by the way, yeah, we're having some issues. It's going in and out. I think I know what the problem is, though. I think I just need to restart my computer. Honestly, it goes a long time without restarting it, so I think that's may uh, may be what it is. I'll try to re. Several hats here on the Ben Jarofsky Show, all right? So there's that update. Make sure to uh, check it out if you want to uh, hear from Marianne Williamson. Maya and Ben are going to be speaking with her. All right, right now, post it on both Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook and Twitter pages and obviously at ChicagoReader.com. It's the latest Chicago Reader column from our very own Ben Jarofsky. And Ben, this article better not uh, be about what I think this headline leads me to believe. Your latest work is titled Size Matters. <laughs> ben, are we taking the Dan Savage route these days? What is this article all about? Class Size Matters. Okay, thank you. Thank you, As thank in you. the number of kids you pack into a classroom, all right? Okay. That's what matters. Yes, indeed. Tom Schub and I both know that it matters how many kids are in a classroom. Uh, when Tom was growing up in Evanston, they didn't just throw 40 kids in a classroom in Evanston and say, oh, hey, teachers, sink or swim. When I went to Nichols Junior High, the greatest junior high in the, the world, they didn't say, oh, we're going to, hey, teacher, we're going to put 45 kids in there. If you don't like it, shut up. And that's what's going on in the city of Chicago. And I, I, I listen. I've said this once, I'll say it twice, I'll say it three times. The absolute worst venue to deal with these compelling problems that we have with public education in the city of Chicago is a labor negotiation. All right. Like issues like class size issue, like how many nurses do you have in a school issue about how many psychologists or librarians do you have in a school? This should not be dealt with in part of the collective bargaining process. But guess what, folks? If the Chicago Teachers Union hadn't forced, hadn't compelled the city of Chicago, the Board of Education, and the Mayor, Mayor Lori Leifert to deal with it, no one would be dealing with it. That's just the reality. All those years of ROM, all those years of daily, they were shoving kids in the classrooms, and they were, oh, we'll study it. We'll deal with it next week. And the people on the front lines are Chicago public school teachers. And they go, well, Ben, you know, can't you get your teachers in line? Can you get them to just to show up? Yeah, everybody's worried because they're worried because kids are suddenly going to be wandering around the city. That's what they're worried about. They're, they're not worried about what what's the life like for the kids when you put them back in a classroom. You got 43 kids in a class. Oh, we're going to study it down the road. So, yeah, I wish it wasn't coming down to a strike. I wish there wasn't a strike in the city of Chicago. I wish this wasn't an issue that had to be dealt with through collective bargaining. I think I can't think of a worse way to deal with this. But please, Chicago, culture leaders, our civic elite, our business elite, 
You know about the situation with our schools. You know about the inequities. We're talking about the inequities in Reefer uh, earlier today, uh, just about five minutes ago with Tom Shuba. What about the inequities in our classroom? You knew all about it for years. You haven't done anything about it. So now the Chicago Teachers Union is, is speaking up about it. And I wrote about uh, in this column talking about how different suburbs deal with this issue, how they put it in their contracts with their teachers to protect not just the teachers, the kids from overcrowded classrooms. So, yes, class size does matter. Chicago, stop pretending it doesn't. You hear that passion, people? You can read more passion with Ben Jarofsky's latest Chicago Reader article, Size Matters. It's about class sizes. <laughs> Head out of the gutter. <laughs> ChicagoReader.com, the Ben Jarofsky Show Facebook page, and the Twitter page as well, at Benny J Show. All right, I promise that we're going to do it, so we got to. It's time for the latest episode of everyone's favorite non-existent Chicago political soap opera. We're headed to City Hall to find out what's happening between a mayor and her alderman. Okay. All right. I love this show. It's hot. Great show. Get it on Hulu. All right. <laughs> oh, embattled Chicago Alderman Ed Burke. You, sir, are one of a kind. Just so we're all on the same page, Alderman Ed Burke, back in November of last year, offices were raided by the FBI. We then learned he did such heinous acts as shaking down a Burger King in his ward. He was then indicted. Uh, not the most trustworthy guy, all right? And yet he was the most powerful alderman of the city of Chicago. Thinking, speaking of things that uh, corporate and civic Chicago ignores <laughs> for years and years. Anyway, go ahead. Well, we have an alderman, Ed Burke, legal fee update. Oh, yeah. Where's Adolfo Mondragon when we need him? Well, I know where you're going with this. Take it away. Following comes from NBC5 Chicago. According to his political committee's quarterly report filed with the Illinois State Board of Elections Thursday afternoon. Alderman Ed Burke of the 14th Ward paid nearly $400,000 in legal fees from his campaign account in August and September. The report detailing contributions and expenditures for the Friends of Edward M. Burke committee from July 1st. Ben, you're not in that committee, are you? <laughs> You're not in that, are you? Not in that I, I like. I like this show. I want to keep it going. <laughs> Tom, she was ready to say something that he held back. But no, I am definitely not in that committee. Thank God. I like doing this show, all right? Uh, but that committee uh, from July 1st to September 30th shows three payments made to two, count them two, Chicago law firms totaling to uh, about $392,000. Yeah, well, we talked about this with Adolfo Mondragon on Tuesday in regards to Danny Solis and the, the law firm of... Uh, legal payments he was making out of his campaign fund. I'm not certain this is legal. People give money to a, a campaign, donate to a politician. They expect that money is going to, I don't know, pay for campaign expenses, you know, buy posters or ads on the internet or ads on buses or what have you. Lunches for the campaign volunteers and stuff like that. Having it go to pay off the legal fees because to uh, defend the guy in court for allegedly, allegedly, D, allegedly shaking down a Burger King operator. You know, I uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Some guy, hey, I want my money back. But uh, This report obviously brought to you by the 14th Ward Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> the one on Pulaski, very one. Uh, so, all right, Tom. Try the Impossible Burger. Yeah. <laughs> 41st and Pulaski. <laughs> Uh, Tom Shuba does not cover burgers. Uh, he covers That's cannabis. Uh, thank you, uh, Robert Mueller. Uh, all right. So uh, big issue the, that well, everybody is exploring and everybody is waiting to see and, uh, is how much money uh, legalizing marijuana will bring to the coffers, the state of Illinois, the city of Chicago, 
whatever municipality has it. Any sense of... There's been a lot of downplaying, especially for the first year's projections. So, like, um, Mayor Lightfoot specifically has been, like, 10 million bucks. That's how, what we're looking at for the city. That's not... Uh, touching what the what over eight hundred million dollars right the 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 budget oh yeah uh, budget deficit of eight hundred yeah mm-hmm. um and so she's downplaying it uh, the sponsors of the bill have downloaded downplayed statewide I think somewhere around fifty six or fifty seven million dollars if I'm correct um it's it's going to get a lot more than that and and it might even the expectations of how much pot is going to be sold in the state, they could be underestimating that greatly. And so an issue with actually revenue collection, though, ties back to, like, whether we will have enough pot to sell to, to collect revenue from, right? And I was mentioning that we only have 21 cultivation facilities. Well, only seven of them have been licensed so far to grow recreational marijuana. And... Um, it takes about three, sometimes three to four months to, to grow a batch of pot, right? So we're, we're, we're pushing up against this, this January 1st start date. Um, and we've seen vast supply shortages in different places. Canada had a specifically bad experience. Um, and I think the lawmakers who sponsored the bill are kind of taking this wait-and-see approach to it. Even though Staines did say to me... One day, I was asking her uh, after this pot conference about uh, first day sales and what she recommended for people to do. And she was like, I recommend people go the second day because there's going to be terrible lines. And uh, it's going to be like, you know, I, <laughs> this is the sponsor of the bill who was like, you're, oh, you're legalizing this drug on this day. Uh, what should you tell people to do? Like, yeah. dude, don't go. go. Don't go. Yeah. 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 Stay away from Avoid the stores that. the day after Thanksgiving. Yeah. So, yeah, well, uh, I think revenue, uh, once we, and it's also unclear how many stores are going to be open mm-hmm. in time, right? Because we have 55 medical dispensaries. So those will all become dual use. So they'll have medical and recreational pot mm-hmm. for sale. Um, and they're all then allowed to get an additional license to sell recreational pot in another location. There's some issues, there's some regulatory issues that have arisen that, uh, you know, might prevent some from opening. Some might be in places where municipalities have banned the sale of it. Um, everything's kind of still coming together. So, like, how much pot is going to be available and how many places there are going to be open to buy it are going to dictate how much is going to be sold, which is going to dictate how much revenue is ultimately collected. But I think once the system, the infrastructure is put into place... We should, it should be, you know, it's not going to solve all of the problems that we've, our state and local governments have created over the past decades. Probably nothing will ever (laughs) create, fix those problems, you know, in my lifetime, in your lifetime. Definitely my lifetime. There's hope for you. So, um, but I think it, it can be a helpful source of revenue eventually down the road. Well, $10 million here, $10 million there. Like she's talking about, I think, how much was she, the ride-sharing thing? Lightfoot, Lightfoot is just, um, she's she's under fire for the for the central business district thing, right? For the no sales downtown thing. And, and this has kind of been her way to shoot back of like, look, no, we're not doing it there. And it's not going to make that much money anyway. So relax basically <laughs> well i uh if 
I have been one of the people who's been critical of that position. Uh, I do not understand why we would limit uh, sales of reefer in an area where we'd have a lot of people from out of Chicago uh, coming to. And the, and the explanations that the city gives are like hearkening back to the drug wars. Like they say, well, we want it family friendly. Well, Tom, what what do you? What does that mean? First of all, what, so you're saying the neighborhoods are not family friendly? Ray Lopez brought that out to me. Right. I hadn't thought of that one. But, you know, if you say, well, we, the loop is going to be family friendly. We're not going to sell reefer there, but we're going to allow reefer to be sold in, in the neighborhoods. So they're not family friendly? Yeah. And I mean, there's certainly a lot of taverns downtown that aren't family friendly <laughs> places either. Um, and so I was at the meeting at Malcolm X and this issue was raised multiple times by multiple people. So there was like a public question period where the, the mayor's office was taking questions from people. I'm like, the first person who brought it up is a, was a blind and deaf man. And he was like, look, this is an accessibility issue. And the mayor has promised to make Chicago the most accessible place in the world. Going downtown is easier for us. I don't use cannabis, but people who have disabilities can get there easier. Why can't we? And then another person said, you know, brought up, there's this many bars, there's this many liquor stores, there's what's the difference? And the final person brought up a great point, which was these well-capitalized, you know, existing cannabis companies. They have the money to buy property downtown or to rent property downtown. But, uh, you know, he, him, a young black man, who has now bought a building in Brownsville in, in preparation to open a dispensary there. They can't afford real estate there. So what's going to happen if you ban it there? The well-capitalized companies are going to go to Brownsville, and they're going to push out the small business guy who couldn't afford to be downtown to begin with. So there was a lot of good points yeah. raised, like in, you know, the scope of reasons why people are kind of pushing back against this thing. And we'll see what happens within city council with it, but... Um, it, it was definitely interesting to see that come up repeatedly during yeah. the meeting. No, it, it, it's a very illogical position to take. All right, Tom Shuba, uh, the wait is over. We want to hear uh, your three all-time uh, favorite stoner movies. As the cares, can, cannabis correspondent for the Chicago Sun-Times, I believe this was one of the first questions the editors asked you <laughs> when they were uh, at that job. All right, kid. Yeah, you want to be the cannabis reporter? What are your three favorite reefers? movies so uh what do we we do it from three two one your third your second your first nice oh, come on look at this radio brain you got <laughs> going on. here man. You're the good. game all right you're good <laughs> all right young okay Thomas. there it is i can't think of what the name of the movie is uh, though we're off now. to a bad oh, start uh days and confused oh this oh, is number three number three number three number Houston three confused. <laughs> um <laughs> followed by friday Oh, Friday, that's on my great list. One. Two. And uh, Half Baked, number one. Come on. Oh, Half Baked. There, there is no better. Jim Brewer. <laughs> half Baked. Yeah. Jim Brewer. Come on. It's on my list. Uh, all right, Young Dennis, what are your three? He's got two of my movies on my list. My number three is How High, starring Method Man and Red Man. Never saw that. Yeah. Oh. Their friend dies and they smoke his ashes. <laughs> <laughs> and go to Harvard. <laughs> and they go to Harvard because he's really smart. Oh. You've never, you've never seen How no, High? Oh, it's on dude. my list. Put it on your list. It's really funny. Uh, number two, Half Baked. Number one, Friday. All right. Well, we have to go. Uh, I got to go Friday. Friday's hilarious. I've watched it like 20,000 times. 
games. Uh, surprised that you guys didn't put the Big Lebowski on that list. I oh, consider that one of the great stoner movies, stoner movies of true. all time. The dude stoned the whole time. You're right. Uh, and and uh, I just got to go up and smoke. It's not that a great a movie. Well, that's like just your opinion, man. <laughs> that's like just your opinion, man. <laughs> that's the other thing they made Shuba do. Okay, I got to hear you talk like a stoner. I'm not going to hire you for this job. Oh, uh, man, okay. <laughs> and you can see he did a great job. Uh, so, <laughs> by the way, now it's going to be reversed at the Tribune, okay? If you want to get this, the reefer job, they're going to make you take a test to make sure you're taking the reefer. Oh, man. Uh, Tribune jokes. I love doing them. Uh, Tom Schubert, it's been a delight having you. You're going to make you a regular Wait, here. You, when did we find out you're number two and one? I told you already. Uh, I said it uh, Friday, Big Lebowski and Up in Smoke. Oh, okay. Yeah, there up we go. Smoke. Make it sure. make up in sure. Smoke. I mean, I just saw it about six months ago and it wasn't that good I, I was embarrassed well, they were high they were like actually high movies. yeah that's what I was gonna say and you, you can tell and it's like that's everybody not was high yeah. not a good idea uh, that said I don't know just it's it was the pioneer so you gotta put it on the list uh, Big Big Lebowski love that movie alright Tom Schubert you're gonna be a regular I know you're gonna be coming back it's a blast talking to you appreciate uh, you showing up Peter Jenko from the 14th Congressional District uh, the committeeman with uh, Julie Thomas and Missy Funk man Missy Funk is awesome talking about Bernie Sanders out there in McHenry County and of course it's uh, Friday that means Ramana Hussein so thanks to Ramana Hussein uh, Dennis and I will be heading out to uh, Cards Against Humanity to uh, for our interview with Marion Williamson, uh, and that's correct. It'll be you can watch it on our Facebook stream. Oh my! <laughs> you correct. Watch, yeah, thank you, Robert Mueller. And you can also we're going to uh, put it on the uh, podcast. So if you miss it, uh, don't worry. You can listen to it. Uh, I don't know when we'll figure out when we're going to drop it. And Joe Cowley tomorrow. Uh, really proud of that. Joe Cowley, the Bulls beat writer, will be talking. We're going to post the Franz Spielman show. So a lot of. Uh, 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 stuff coming on our uh, uh, the Ben Jarofsky podcast. Anyway, good job, Dr. D. Give yourself a raise. Take it out of petty cash. See you on Tuesday, everybody. And remember, you can download previous Ben Jarofsky shows and Benny J bonus interviews at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, chicago.suntimes.com, chicagoreader.com, and wherever else you download podcasts. Hey, downloaders, you know we uh, live stream this show, right? It's true. And it usually works 100% of the time. Today, not so much. But hey, you never know. It's an adventure. Uh, you can find us on the live stream once again at both Chicago Sun-Times and Chicago Reader websites, the Chicago Sun-Times YouTube channel. And we now live stream on Facebook at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show. Give us a like, follow, share, review, whatever you want to do. As soon as we hit 2,100 likes, we'll have our next caption contest. And we will be live streaming our Marianne Williamson interview tonight. Uh, it starts at 7 o'clock, so join us online, won't you? Ben will be there. Maya Dugmasova will be there. Will you? Via Facebook? See you Tuesday.